This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 66. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention, especially right now. We have breaking news now to report on President Trump's denials he ever received intelligence reporting about Russian bounties on U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Multiple former Trump administration officials who briefed the president tell me that Trump's resistance to intelligence warnings specifically about Russia led his national security team, including those who delivered the president's daily brief to him orally, to do so less and less often. Today, the president's national security advisor, Robert O'Brien, said the president was not briefed because at the time the, the information rather was, quote, uncorroborated. However, CNN has confirmed that the information was in his written daily brief this spring. Still, President Trump today hung to the line that he didn't see it, also that there was nothing to see. When you bring something into, into a president, and I see many, many things, and I'm sure I don't see many things that they don't think rose to the occasion. This didn't rise to the occasion. And from what I hear, and I hear it pretty good, uh, the intelligence people didn't even, many of them didn't believe it happened at all. I think it's a hoax. I think it's a hoax by the newspapers and the Democrats. This is the moment. This is the story. This is the failure. The failure that should finally underscore for all Americans how catastrophic this president is. Russia paid to have America's sons and daughters murdered by the Taliban. Our intelligence leaders confirmed it. Our battlefield commanders were briefed on it. And Trump knew about it. And he did nothing. He did worse than nothing. He called it a hoax. The only hoax is his presidency. The only hoax is the idea that the president of the United States is independent. The only hoax is the idea that he can keep America safe. That's the hoax. Independence Day is here. And it's time to reclaim America's independence, just as our founding fathers did 244 years ago this month. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it, and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form 
as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. This Independence Day 2020, it's again time for us to declare our independence, to protect our freedom from a government that's become destructive to these ends, from a president that has become destructive to these ends, for our safety and for our happiness, for our freedom and for our future. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty, to throw off such government and to provide new gods for their future security. It's our right, it's our duty, to provide new guards for our future security. We are those new guards, each and every one of us, especially now in this moment. We are the new guards. And our time to step up is now. I can't find the words to express how the leadership of this government sickens me. Now, people say, people say, if you don't love America, then get the hell out. Well, I love America. We love the people of America very much, but when it comes to the government, it stops right there. The government is a bunch of corrupt thieves, they are rapists and robbers, and we are here to say that we don't have to take it anymore. We don't have to take it anymore. Enough. Enough. Most Americans can see it. Enough. This 4th of July, we redeclare our independence, this time from another tyrannical existential threat, Trump. Trump and Trumpism must stop. The appeasement, the excuses, the waiting, it has to end now. Enough talk, enough waiting. We must each act now in whatever way we can before it's too late. We can't tell our grandkids we were satisfied to wait until another year came, until hundreds of thousands more of our fellow citizens died. We can't tell our grandkids we waited until an election, until the summer was over, until, 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 until he starts a new war, until he deploys our troops against our own people, until he lets our brothers and sisters die from a disease, until he fires a nuke. We can't wait until, 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 no more until. It's the time for now. I'm not an orator. And I would not try to convince you of the worthiness of our cause. I'm a soldier. And we are at war. From Philadelphia, we expect a declaration of independence. Eight of the 13 colonies have levied money in support of a continental army. I ask that South Carolina be the ninth. Massachusetts and Virginia may be at war. But South Carolina is not. Here, here. This is not a war for the independence of one or two colonies, but for the independence of one nation. And, uh, yes, what nation is that? An American nation. Here, here. There is no such nation, and to speak of one is treason. We are citizens of an American nation, and our rights are being threatened by a tyrant 3,000 miles away. We are a nation, and we must again be united against the virus. Like the king did before our founding as a nation, the virus threatens us all. And our rights are being trampled again by a tyrant, not 3,000 miles away, but depending on where you live, 
no more than a few hundred miles away at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue inside the White House. Will you now, when you are needed most, stop at only words? Is that the sort of men you are? I ask only that you act upon the beliefs of which you have so strongly spoken and in which you so strongly believe. Who's with us? Who is with us? Enough talk. This is time for action. Who will act? Who will cower? Who is with us? Who is against us? We learned that a Russian spy unit secretly offered bounties to militants in Afghanistan for killing American troops, American sons and daughters. U.S. intelligence officers and special ops forces in Afghanistan alerted their superiors as early as January, seven months ago, to a suspected Russian plot to pay bounties to the Taliban to kill Americans in Afghanistan. They knew, and they did nothing. Trump knew and did nothing. Our troops were murdered, and he did nothing. America's sons and daughters with bounties on their heads from an enemy that's been working to weaken us for years, and he did nothing. An enemy that attacked our elections and attacks the social fabric of our nation every single day, and he did nothing. Nothing. I'm not surprised. Trump consistently endangers our troops and helps our enemies. I'm exhausted by the consistency and the reality of it, and by the pathetic responses by Congress. This is what President Mayhem does. He's America's greatest sellout, and our enemies are celebrating. Every day Trump is in power, our enemies are celebrating. Because every day Trump is in power, we are weaker. And there's more breaking news. John Bolton told colleagues he briefed Trump on the intel assessment. And Marine veteran Jim Laporta, formerly of Newsweek and now of AP, broke the story. And he continues to break huge stories. Jim joined us back in episode 31 to explain how he does it and how his time as a Marine shapes this intrepid work now as a journalist. It'll leave you hopeful and inspired because on this anniversary of America's birth, there are still patriots we can be proud of. Patriots that we can fly our country's flag for. The impact all this is already having on the morale of our troops deployed in combat right now cannot be underestimated. Imagine being in Afghanistan right now and reading that the president doesn't have your back, that there's a bounty on your head, and the president doesn't even care. We need hearings, accountability, and handcuffs for anyone who knew or turned a blind eye. And we need it immediately, not next month or next year, now. I am so sick and tired of politicians talking. 
This is who Trump is. They knew it. They all knew it from both parties. And now they're outraged because U.S. troops are involved. If you're a politician from either party and you're not trying every day to find every way to remove him, you're complicit. President Mayhem puts our troops at risk every day. He politicizes them. He uses them. He abuses them. So no, I'm not at all surprised by the latest news. The only thing I'm surprised by at this point is that he hasn't gotten us into a full shooting war with another country or a nuclear war yet. But per usual, when I posted that on Twitter, many in my feed are defending the Democrats. We tried. We tried. Please tell that to the families of the dead. There's no credit for trying. He's still there. You failed too. own it. And work harder. Drop articles of impeachment again, daily. Do more. But just stop whining. And because I'm in the mood to entertain it, to all the Democrat defenders, all those who think you did enough, couldn't have done more, couldn't have fought any harder, here's just one example of how weak the Democrats have been at times. Mark Esper is our Secretary of Defense. He's another piece of the Trump apparatus that has failed us. And he's been allowed to grow all around Trump ever since Mattis left. Yesper. That's what they call him behind his back in the Pentagon. Because he says yes to everything Trump wants. Yesper. Regardless of the impact on our troops. Regardless of our national security. Regardless of our domestic unity. Regardless of our future. Regardless of the impact on our freedom. What did Esper know? When did he know it? And why didn't he do anything about it? Remember, the nomination of Mark Esper to be Secretary of Defense was voted on July 23rd, 2019, one year ago. And the vote count was 90 yeas and only eight nays with two not voting. Only eight nays out of all the Democrats. Only eight voted no. Of course, all the Republicans voted yes, but the Democrats voted yes too. Like they have so many times before on Trump nominees that have enabled his mayhem. Only eight voted nay. We covered this last year in this podcast. Booker of New Jersey, Gillibrand of New York, Harris of California, Klobuchar of Minnesota, Markey of Massachusetts, Merkley of Oregon, Warren of Massachusetts, Wyden of Oregon. And in case you're wondering, Bernie Sanders didn't vote. Now, of course, the Republicans are more to blame, but nobody's blameless and nobody's focused. What did I tell you fellas about shooting? Him small, Miss Small. Him small, Miss Small. Boys, Samuel, steady. Aim small, miss small. When shooting, and especially when shooting in politics, focus. Focus is key. And we need focus now more than ever. A focus on the future. A focus on the most urgent threat. And that threat is Donald Trump. We must contain him, block him, isolate him, diminish him, punish him, and remove him. Peacefully, lawfully, quickly. We must deny him freedom of movement. Freedom, 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 freedom. This is how we ride and roll. Soldier for life for sure. And it's time for Operation Free America. That's what I'm going to call it. Operation Free America. 
That's what I call the simple plan we all need to execute to free us of this mayhem. A simple, focused strategy. Enough whining, enough pearl clutching, enough fake outrage. This is who he is. You knew it. We all knew it. We didn't expect it to get this bad, but every thinking person knew it could. And here we are. Godzilla's destroying everything. And if we don't stop him, he'll destroy us, America, our future, and maybe more. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July. And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight, we're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. He must be stopped. We've got to pry his drunken hands from the steering wheel. Think that's too extreme? Remember, a pandemic is still raging, killing our fellow citizens every day. And always remember, he has the trigger for our nukes. Never forget that. He's got the trigger. It can get worse, much worse. So he must be stopped. We, all Americans who care about our country, our future, our children, must stop him. The election is not enough. It's too far away. And I'm tired of hearing, just focus on the election. He can do too much damage before then. Every day he's in control, the damage is deeper. We got to jam him up, tie him up, slow him down, make his attempts to do anything hard. Then we have to do all we can to remove him now. Drop articles of impeachment now for the pandemic failures, for allowing Russians to destroy our elections, for allowing Russians to kill our troops, explore the 25th Amendment, use every legal and peaceful option to remove Trump now, and simultaneously work to defeat him. Get Joe Biden elected. He's far from perfect, but he's our Jon Snow now. Get Biden elected so we have a chance at turning the page. Then exile Trump. Arrest him. Show the world we hold people accountable who hurt America, including our own. Just like Benedict Arnold or Timothy McVeigh. Send his ass to Malta or build a wall around Mar-a-Lago and just make it a jail he rots in until he dies. Then work with Biden to rebuild. It'll take all of us, regardless of party. This is not a chapter turning. This is a complete turnaround, a total overhaul. We've got to dig in and stop the bleeding. And we've got to start the rebuilding and strap in for what could take a generation. Get your head around that. 
and use it to motivate you now to take action. This is worse than the Depression. Worse than Vietnam. Worse than 9-11. Worse than Iraq. The Trump presidency has been worse than all of those combined. And if we understand that seriousness, we have a chance. We came out of the Depression inspired and united by World War II. United by our fight against the Nazis and the fascists. We got in that fight late. But we were the reinforcements that turned the tide of the war. We helped our allies. We destroyed the enemy. And we saved the world. That common enemy now is the virus. The enemy that can unite, mobilize, and inspire us. Not every American believed Hitler was a threat. Not every American wanted to jump into World War II. Leadership inspired and took the necessary action to lead us into a necessary war. And the country followed. We must do the same now with the virus. The time is now. Enough talk. It's time for action. Operation Free America. That's the strategy. Block him, disable him, reduce him, slow him, indict him, impeach him, defeat him, replace him, arrest him. For the record, you affected. Who you elected is so septic, so full of shit. I can't accept it. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. You got the evidence. Arrest the president. Arrest the president. No more talking from politicians. It's time for action. It's time for leadership. Remember what President Kennedy said? There's not going to be an America anymore unless there are people who are willing to sacrifice. I love my country, Dad. I love my country, too. And Ron Kovic and John F. Kennedy were right. It's not going to be a country if people aren't willing to sacrifice. And right now, we're not asking them to enlist and storm the beaches at Normandy. We're asking them to wear a mask for short periods of time and not to jam into packed, sweaty indoor places in July and August. America's always been a leader, and leadership is about sacrifice. Every generation before us did it, and now it's our time. And comparatively, it's pretty damn easy. My grandfather took a boat halfway around the world, got malaria, and spent three years in the South Pacific to fight the Japanese. I can wear a mask in Walmart, wash my hands, stay at a Disney World, and stop high-fiving strangers. This Independence Day, our future is on the line. Our freedom is on the line. Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. I'm dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives but they'll never take our freedom! As we enter this most important summer for America in our lifetime, we've had powerful and inspiring conversations with important, impactful, frontline leaders in the pandemic, the protests, and the election. The three firestorms, or maybe shitstorms, that continue to ravage our country. And from the very first episode of this show, we've had conversations with the helpers. People who run in when everyone else is running out. And over the past few episodes, we've had conversations with fighters. Fighters who boldly step into the arena to wage battle for what they believe in. Like our founding fathers did 244 years ago. And like every generation of American that followed. 
righteous fighters for freedom, like Charlotte Clymer last episode and Ron Perlman in the episode before that, two of our biggest shows ever. Our audience has grown almost 50% in the last few weeks. People around the world are listening because people around the world are angry too. And they want to know they're not alone. They're looking for American integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And they want to channel that righteous anger into positive action, just like you do, just like we all do. And I'm going to keep bringing them to you. In the spirit of America's independence, we must rally again as a nation, re-examine ourselves and reimagine our future and rediscover real American leadership. American leaders who are willing to sacrifice, to thrust themselves out into the open for the country whose birth we celebrate this month and the country whose future we are writing together. As patriots, not chest-thumping, loudly screaming patriots, but humble, quiet patriots, like the generations that have come before us who built our roads, created our businesses, changed our laws, opened our systems, welcomed our immigrants, taught our parents, and fought our wars. Those are the patriots we celebrate on our nation's birthday. It's not about patriots on statues or on the sides of mountains. It's about patriots we saw all around us. The patriots who helped our neighbors, who took hard stands, who faced injustices, who worked long hours, and who kept our families safe. The quiet patriots, the true, everyday patriots that kept us on the right track, picked us up when we fell, and the young ones who look up to us now. The Greatest Generation and the Black Lives Matter Generation and the Next Generation. A generation that's watching, watching closely with the ferocious spotlight of technology and social media. A generation that's looking for role models. Role models that are on their screens and in their earbuds and in the arena. Faces marred by dust and sweat and blood. They're looking for role models that are shaping the future not stubbornly clinging to the past. Freedom means letting go. And freedom means trusting in the core values, not bullying into uniformity, not cowering in fear. Freedom means stepping up to lead, not resigning to be led. And the experience of school, of family, of politics, of life, is increasingly happening through a screen. And the faces on those screens will mold the minds, guide the conversation, establish the tone, tell our stories, and set the priorities. Media is everywhere now, more than ever, and more powerful than ever, with fewer rules than ever. It's why the battlefields of public opinion and breaking news drive policy and politics, not the other way around. It's how Trump got elected. And it's why someone like Sean Hannity can have so much influence. Or Taylor Swift. Or Ellen DeGeneres. Or Joe Rogan. It's the evolution of Oprah. And Rush Limbaugh. And Howard Stern. Especially now in the time of the virus. And especially in an election year. America was founded in 1776 in part on religious freedom. But in 2020, our media platforms are our new churches. Some are small. Some are massive. All are influential. 
And every media church has its clergy. Some have a lone leader at the lectern. Others lead by committee. The faithful come religiously for information and inspiration and insight and community. And few are more powerful than the Church of Morning Joe. With the death of the morning newspaper, Morning Joe is delivered into millions of homes every morning along with a branded cup of coffee. It's the show that Joe Biden went to for his most important interview in his candidacy so far. It's the show where Mayor Pete Buttigieg broke through. It's the show every candidate, politician, and journalist wants to be on. And it's the show Trump loves to hate. It's TV's most consistent political arena. And in this episode, we're joined by one of the clergy of the Church of Morning Joe, joined by one of its maestros, a man who's been hosting, moderating, and tone-setting for over 13 years, a man who's trusted, respected, liked, and loved, a lunchbox patriot who gets up every day before the crack of dawn and commits himself to integrity and hard work. Sometimes he's the pugilist. Sometimes he's the referee. But he's always inside the small confines of the ring, the squared circle, the arena, your screen. And he's been here for years. LL Cool J is hard as hell. Battle anybody, I don't care. You tell. I excel. They all fail. Gonna sell double L, Willie Geist is one of the most beloved leaders in American media. And with good reason. He's kind, funny, smart, earnest, respectful, hardworking. The co-host of Morning Joe, the host of NBC's Today and Sunday Today with Willie Geist and the Sunday Sit-Down with Willie Geist podcast, Willie Geist is back on Angry Americans for a uniquely candid, extended, and very fun conversation. I'm really grateful to consider him a buddy. We've known each other for years now, and Willie Geist is the real deal. He's the kind of guy you want as a friend. The kind of guy you want as a neighbor. The kind of guy you want guiding America through some of the toughest times in history. Willie was our first ever guest on Angry Americans back in episode one. I accidentally sent him to the Polish consulate, and we talked about all kinds of shit. And now, he's finally back to talk about life hosting the show that Trump watches and attacks on a regular basis. He talks about interviewing newsmakers from his garage, his favorite band, fatherhood in the pandemic, and his love of hip-hop. It's Willie Geist like you've never heard him before. As the master interviewer, becomes the interviewee. By asking somebody an interview about the Wu-Tang Clan, now I know that you're cool with all that. So I'm going to say, old dirty bastard, because I know by asking me about the Wu-Tang Clan, you know about the Wu-Tang Clan, and you're not going to suddenly be offended that I use the words old dirty bastard. As we celebrate America's birthday, Willie Geist is the guy who you definitely want at any birthday party. For you, for your grandma, for your kid. He's a man who appreciates freedom. And a man who's carved out a career and a life with an admirable amount of freedom. He mixes it up daily with the most powerful politicians in the world. He chats with his favorite movie stars and comedians. And he gets to write books with his dad. He's the kind of guy, when you think about it, we wish we had in political office. But instead... We're lucky enough to have him with us every weekday morning and to ease us nicely through our weekend on Sunday morning. Willie's a guy you wish was your kid's little league coach, the mayor of your local town, the dude you got as a roommate in college, or the young man who came home to date your kid. The only real reason 
anyone can find not to like him is because everybody really likes him. He represents the best of the all-American dad, and he's the perfect guest to your 4th of July barbecue. And our conversation with him in this episode is a refreshing splash of light to contrast all the nasty heat and take you into your summer with a smile on your face and a bit of hope for the future. As July lands in our socially distanced lap, as baseball struggles to start like Aaron Judge with a cracked rib, as the pandemic heats up faster than the temperature of the local pool that's still closed, or probably should be, as the conflicting shutdown guidance burns down our reserve of patience, as the unemployment checks and PPE money get closer to running out, burning down the hopes of a quick return to anything we'd call normal. We all continue to struggle for our freedom, from the pandemic, from our quarantine, from the uncertainty, from the chaos, from the financial stress, from Trump, and from the stupid. We'll take a step inside the world of political media at the highest level with the nicest guy we could hope for. But first, some fireworks. Before we get into our fascinating and fun conversation with the great Willie Geist and get the latest on my war with Room Raider, give you some huge news about angry Americans hitting the top of the charts in America and some very interesting other countries, and how my 103-year-old Aunt Angie celebrated her birthday, and how I plan to celebrate the 4th of July, there are some issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should have everyone angry. And it starts, for a change, with national security. And the latest example of how our derelict commander-in-chief has jeopardized the safety of our troops and all Americans. And I broke it down with our friend of the pod and guest in episode 21, Chris Cuomo on CNN. If our fighting men and women are being hunted for bounties in Afghanistan, bounties paid by Russia, we need our government to step up and protect them now because they protect us. We owe them that. Our friend PJ Rykoff is here to help us take this conversation out of Washington and remember why we should care. It's not about a gotcha contest. It's about taking care of our fighting men and women. PJ, brother, I love you. I want to read your tweet. I'm so sick and tired of politicians talking. This is who he is. They knew it. They all knew it from both parties. And now they're outraged because U.S. troops are involved. Uh, Let's take that idea. Why both sides? Well, because the American national security has is, is never been at greater risk in our lifetime right now, Chris. We, we knew what Donald Trump was all about. He, he said what he was going to do. He continued to do it. And he weakens our national security over and over again, whether it, it's, it's pulling out uh, and abandoning the Kurds or moving money from the Pentagon down to the wall over and over again. Uh, he continues to erode our national security. And anybody who isn't trying to remove him from power, anyone who isn't trying to control him or block him or stop him from endangering our national security is at fault here. I mean, I'm tired of hearing the politicians talk about how they're outraged, how, how they're angry. They need to take action. What are they going to do to control the president that may have known that the Russians were paying to kill Americans and did nothing? There's, there's no lower point in his presidency at this point, and it can get worse. Every day that he is out of control, 
control. More of our troops are in danger. More of our national security is risk. And it's not just the, the American troops that are in danger here, Chris. It's every single Americans. Our people are sick. Our economy is shattered. Our military morale is down. And it's his fault. At what point is anyone going to hold him accountable? What can the Democrats do that they have not done? You know, drop more articles of impeachment. You try to get him out of office. Try to jam him up. I don't know, to be honest with you, Chris. I'm not an expert here, but they should do everything possible to ensure that no more American troops are killed because the Russians are putting bounties on them. Drag Donald Trump in whatever legal, peaceful way possible in front of the American people and make him answer to these questions. And not just him. Secretary of Defense Esper is mocked in the Pentagon at this point. They call him Yesper because everything that Donald Trump wants, Secretary of Defense Esper does. When did he know? What did he know? Why didn't he do anything? I mean, how low does it have to go, Chris, before the American people wake up and understand all our politicians have failed us, and this guy is running our country into a ditch, and our national security is at grave risk, and it can get worse. If you think it can't get worse, just remember, there are nukes. This guy has the capacity to fire nukes. That's how high the stakes are. They've never been higher, Chris, and I'm just shocked. The only thing I'm shocked about is that more people aren't doing anything to try to, to try to take some action to solve this problem. Uh, how confident are you that the bounty story is true? I mean, we just had Spamberger on. She's like, you know, look, I don't know right now, but I want to know more about it. Um, now we're hearing from the AP that they that Bolton briefed them about this in March of last year. I mean, could this be something that they know is out there, but they've never proven? Maybe, but why doesn't the president shoot it down? Why doesn't he say he won't tolerate bounties? Why doesn't he say that this won't be acceptable? Why doesn't he say that there'll be consequences for paying people to kill Americans? I mean, th this all smells bad, and it's on the backs of, of continued attacks from the Russians. People say the Russians meddled in our elections, Chris. They attacked our elections every day that Donald Trump is in power, every day the coronavirus kills more people, every day our military morale goes down, our enemies celebrate. Our enemies all around the world are celebrating every day that Donald Trump is a derelict commander-in-chief. The stakes couldn't be any higher. And it's not just one thing, Chris. It's a continued pattern. We know who he is. We know what he's going to do. The question is, how much damage can he do before November? Or let's say Biden wins. It could be January before Biden's in power. How much more damage could Donald Trump do to our national security between now and then? It's, it's terrifying. You don't think that uh, the presumption that he gets the military vote still stands true? No. I mean, it was three and a half years ago, Chris, that he attacked John McCain. Right. I mean, the, the Gold Star family attacks were years ago. I mean, he, he dragged uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, Milley and Secretary of Defense out to the church for the crazy Bible stunt. I mean, and now he's pulling troops out of Germany. OK, he's pulling them out of Germany, which only benefits Russia. About 10,000 troops are now being yanked out of Germany, despite opposition from both parties. Day after day, he continues to disrespect and demoralize our military. This is far beyond party. It's about patriotism first. Party is long past important. This story ain't going away. When America celebrates 4th of July this month, American troops in Afghanistan, Syria, South Korea, Germany, and around the world will be outside the wire knowing that bounties are on their heads and the president doesn't have their back. And when they come home, they'll probably have their freedom stifled for even longer because they'll have to quarantine. The summer of the three storms continues to intensify. The three storms are raging hotter and ever more annoying than ever. They're the three horsemen of our hot summer. Or like having a 4th of July barbecue with heat, humidity, and bugs. 
And like the population of mosquitoes a few days after a big rainstorm, the pandemic has exploded. It's not back. It never went away. And it's bad worldwide and getting worse. Worldwide, there are now almost 11 million cases. That's up over 1 million since our last episode. That's almost the entire population of Portugal or Greece. Brazil is exploding. So is India. Outbreaks are happening among Japan's young people soaking up the nightlife in Tokyo. Tourist places like Venice and Italy are dead. And the U.S. Embassy in Saudi Arabia was slammed. And the World Health Organization warns the worst is yet to come, as a lack of international unity helps the coronavirus spread even faster. And with 10 million cases now and half a million deaths, unless we address the problems we have already identified as WHO, the lack of national unity and lack of global solidarity, and the divided world, which is actually helping the virus to, to spread. As I said in my speech, the worst is yet to come. Here in the U.S., some rare good news, as employers added 4.8 million jobs last month. The second month in a row that hiring picked up after an awful loss of more than 20 million jobs in April. The unemployment rate fell to 11.1% in June from 13.3% the month before. But the survey was compiled in mid-June, before the coronavirus cases began to slam Arizona, Florida, and so many other states. And there's still not much sports this summer. So thanks to President Mayhem and a wide range of national and local leadership failures, instead of basketball playoffs and summer baseball, America remains on top of the worst leaderboard in the entire world. We continue to have the highest number of COVID cases in the entire world with 2.75 million. We hit another terrible milestone. As predicted, that number is now more than the entire population of Chicago. More than the population of every city in America except Los Angeles and New York. And the number of American dead is now equal to the population of Waco, Texas, or Pasadena, California. And so far, despite predictions from President Mayhem, the virus is loving the summer weather. And the worst is yet to come. At this point, it's not a question, it's a certainty. The worst is yet to come from the virus and from Trump. With about 40,000 new cases being reported a day, Dr. Anthony Fauci says the U.S. is not going in the right direction and in some regions, putting the country at risk. If things don't flip around, Fauci wouldn't be surprised to see 100,000 cases a day. And as the summer heats up, the virus is hitting some hot places especially hard. If you want to find the virus, she must Arizona is the new ground zero. Arizona reported 3,300 new coronavirus cases in the last 24 hours alone. The single state of Arizona is reporting more coronavirus cases per day than the entire European Union. And down in Florida, the massive caseload continues. 10,000 new coronavirus cases in the last 24 hours, a record increase. So as summer hits, people in Arizona, Florida, and Texas always go inside. These state populations blew up decades ago with the expansion of air conditioning. And this 
may just be the beginning. But Trump's confident that COVID will disappear. The president said, I think that at some point that's going to sort of just disappear, I hope. He's hoping that it will disappear, the president's strategy at this point. No, the president's confident that it'll disappear. He's confident that he's put together a revolutionary first-class team that is going to break through bureaucracy and get us a vaccine. Uh, He's confident that that will lead us to a place where we won't have uh, COVID on our hands. Press Secretary Kelly McEnany says Trump is confident that COVID will disappear. That asinine comment comes as cases continue to jump in states all across America. She called the resurgence of cases embers. Embers. They're not embers. Embers burn out on their own. These are not embers. These are house fires in states nationwide with bad wiring. Houses are on fire all across our American neighborhood. And they won't just burn out. They need to be blasted out with fire extinguishers, fire trucks, and massive airdrops of water. This is not a little campfire. It's a raging forest fire. The embers are millions of Americans running around with the virus starting new fires all across the country. From the time the pandemic started, I've told you, there are two kinds of state leaders. The kind that are trying to contain the virus and win the war, and the kind that are trying to kill the rest of us. And the second group is infected badly. So badly. Not just with the virus. But with the stupid. It's infected people all across the country now, from New York City to Arizona to California. And New York's still paying a price. New York's iconic Broadway shows will be suspended through the rest of the year. And now indoor dining is postponed. Mayor Disaster, Bill de Blasio, said it was scheduled to begin on July 6th at the start of Phase 3 reopening. Now he's walked that back. And outdoor dining will continue to expand, of course, until fall comes. It's an understandable move, but a brutal blow to the city. It's such a driver of tourism and the city's economy. It's one of the many beating hearts of New York City that are flatlining. This is going to kill so many restaurants, like we talked to Tom Colicchio about in the episode of The Dispatches. The pain and the expense at the start and stop is just brutal. Texas is feeling the same pain. Open, close, open, close. This is what failed leadership is doing to people in so many states. And what happens when winter hits and people can't go outside anymore? Well, Dr. Fauci says we're fucked. Dr. Fauci, do these numbers show that the country is still moving, quote, in the right direction and that the coronavirus pandemic is under control? Well, I think the numbers speak for themselves. Although we do have a number of parts of the country that are doing well, I'm very concerned about what's going on right now, particularly in the four states that are accounting for about 50% of the new infections, but the other vulnerable states. So I'd have to say the numbers speak for themselves. I'm very concerned and I'm not satisfied with what's going on because we're going in the wrong direction. If you look at the curves of the new cases, so we've really got to do something about that and we need to do it quickly. Short answer to your question is that clearly we are not in total control right now. And remember four months ago, when then White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney said this. The reason you're paying so, you're saying so much attention to it today is that they think this is going to be what brings down the president. That's what this is all about. Um, I got a note today from a, from, a, from a reporter saying, what are you going to do today to calm the markets? And I'm like, really, what I might do today to calm the markets is tell people to turn their televisions off for 24 hours. Well, turning off the TV won't help. And it turns out this might actually be what does take down the president. Not because the Democrats made it so but because the virus is now hitting red states hard. 
And maybe that's why President Mayhem is finally changing his tune on masks. All of a sudden, he likes the way he looks in a mask. Yep, he now has done a complete 180, and he likes the way he looks. I'm all for masks. I think masks are good. I would wear, if I were in a group of people and I was close. You would wear one? Oh, I would, I would, oh, I have. I mean, people have seen me wearing one. If I'm in a group of people where we're not, you know, 10 feet away, and but usually I'm not in that position, and everyone's tested. Because I'm the president, they get tested before they see me. But if I were in a tight situation with people, I would absolutely. You think the public will see that at some point? I mean, I'd have no problem. Actually, I, I had a mask on. I sort of liked the way I looked. Okay, I thought it was okay. It was a dark black mask, and I thought it looked okay. It looked like the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger. By the way, the Lone Ranger's mask went over his eyes like a raccoon, not over his face like a bandit. So the Lone Ranger mask really won't help in the pandemic. And that show ran from like 1947 to 1957. And Trump's not the Lone Ranger. He's not Zorro. He's not Gecko from PJ Masks. He's President Mayhem. We don't have a masked hero in the White House. We have the Hamburglar of our democracy, a guy who they have to try to convince us actually reads. Asking maybe to defend why the president isn't necessarily reading his PDB when there are these types of issues that arise. The president does read, and he also consumes intelligence verbally. This president, I'll tell you, is the most informed person on planet Earth when it comes to the threats that we face the most informed person on the planet. If he was informed, he'd understand the biggest threat we face is from him. And the only thing the American people want to see him read right now is his own resignation letter. And it won't come in time for 4th of July. But we can hope. There's always hope. And there's always hope that we might actually soon have the boys of summer back. So it looks like we might actually have baseball. And here's how it's going to look. Spring training is supposed to start July 1st. Major League Baseball asked the Players Association whether players will be able to report to training in their respective cities within seven days by July 1st. They're supposed to play 60 games, an opening day scheduled to be around July 24th. There's going to be 10 teams in the playoffs, but it's going to be weird. Players not playing in the game would have to sit in the stands, separated by at least six feet. They'd also have to apply the same social distancing standards to the national anthem. No word on whether or not they can eat hot dogs while they're up there in the stands. Celebratory contact is out, so no fist bumps, high fives, big hugs. Also, no spitting, chewing tobacco or sunflower seeds, or any combination thereof. Distance between base runners, fielders, coaches, and umpires on the field will be encouraged as much as possible. And a ball will be thrown out once it's been touched by multiple players as if baseball wasn't slow enough already. And post-game showers are discouraged. So will the use of taxis and ride shares like Uber, in case you were wondering. So no cabs with Aaron Judge, no high-fiving with Mike Trout. And if you decide to take a shower... And players are going to be screened for temperature multiple times per day and tested for the virus multiple times per week. And anybody who comes up positive will be immediately quarantined. Two negative tests will be required for a possible return. So we might have baseball yet this summer. And not just baseball.
They are indeed trying to play basketball again. In Disney World, basketball is trying to come back too. As the players across the league continue to test positive, the league has a plan to go into the coronavirus oasis of Florida. We talked about the NBA bubble scenario a few months ago when DA, the great David Aldridge, NBA expert from The Athletic, joined us. Go back and check that out if you haven't heard it. But at that time, the NBA was considering building a bubble in Vegas, and they instead decided on Orlando. Denied. So July 7th, the teams are going to go to Orlando. Team training camps and scrimmages are going to go throughout the month of July. And then the season is supposed to resume on July 30th with seeding games. And then play-in games from the middle of August. And the playoffs are supposed to start on August 17th. Conference finals would be in September, with the NBA finals on September 30th lasting as late as October 13th. This is also going to be different. Only 22 teams will return for the season. And the 22 teams consist of the 16 teams, eight per conference, in the current playoff positions, and the six teams that are currently six games or fewer behind the eighth seed in their respective conferences. Complicated, right? And, speaking of complicated, politics and sports continue to intersect. The Players Association has been talking to the league about ways to remember victims of police violence by placing the name of a victim on a player's jersey to keep the focus on Black Lives Matter. But it's very complicated, and the union's being careful. But they're going to try. They're going to try to play basketball. They're going to try to make some statements. And I hope I'm wrong, especially since the Knicks can't lose because they're not even playing. But nevertheless, I don't see this working. Mickey Mouse might be down, but the virus is too, especially in Florida. And I think we're all going to see that the virus is bigger and badder than any seven-foot shot blocker, bigger and badder than LeBron or anybody else. Because the virus has got plans for the NBA, and I think this is what they are. And no word on football yet, but the Patriots did sign quarterback Cam Newton, which is not boring. And more coming up on football with Willie Geist, who loves football as much as I do. And hitting harder than Ray Lewis, the second firestorm is hitting America now and continues to burn hot. It's a summer of protests, especially if unemployment stays as high as it does. The civil unrest, protest, and tension with police continue across America from Seattle to New York. Talk to me. So you can see The Black Lives Matter movement continues to roll on, and the controversy and frustration in police departments continues to roll on. And more and more cities are painting Black Lives Matters on the street, which is a big deal. And more police departments are having their budget cut over a billion dollars in New York City alone. And as symbols and budgets continue to come down, statues are coming down too. Timber. And maybe the toughest one of all, after 126 years, Mississippi's state flag, bearing the Confederate battle emblem, has been removed. It's coming down. And you can hear protesters in the background, protesters at the state capitol all day who support this state flag. Mm -hmm. And right now, ladies and gentlemen, again, you're witnessing history in the state of Mississippi. Merle Evers, the widow of slain civil rights leader Medgar Evers, said, 
I can't believe it. I'm so emotional. Medgar's wings must be clapping. And people are clapping in Richmond, Virginia, too, because the grand statue of General Stonewall Jackson also came down. In the middle of a thunderstorm, Richmond, Virginia's Stonewall Jackson became the last Confederate monument toppled among a national reckoning on injustice, racism, and police brutality. Hundreds were there to watch crews take apart the statue, one of five honoring Confederate icons at Monument Avenue in Richmond, the former capital of the Confederacy. People cheered and bells rang out from the nearby First Baptist Church. But Trump's not ringing any bells. No, no. President Mayhem is doubling down on his racism, and he's issued a veto threat of the $700 billion defense authorization bill if it includes a provision to strike Confederate names from military bases. Once again, he used his favorite racist nickname for the Massachusetts U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren that he opposes. So if he does veto this defense bill, he puts the Confederate base names ahead of health care and benefits for military families, troop pay, nukes, readiness and equipment, the Space Force, all that stuff. So let's see how far he really wants to push this. Because the names of the bases are going to come down. If not when Trump is in office, then real soon afterward. But in what Trump's considering a win, one of the biggest protests in America also came down. That's the sound of Seattle police rolling in to disperse protesters from the occupied CHOP area, the so-called Seattle Capitol Hill occupation protest. I talked about it last episode. But it's busted up now, and Trump's calling it a win. Another win for everybody that not too many predicted. Many of us thought that the protests would cause huge outbreaks. I'll admit it. I thought so. And epidemiologists have braced for a surge of coronavirus after all the protests. But it hasn't come yet. Now, conditions at the demonstrations maybe weren't that conducive for transmitting the virus, mainly because they were outdoors. But there also could be a lack of testing. In places like New York, they're testing people and not asking them if they were at the protests. And protesters are facing some new factors now beyond the virus. More lockdowns, exhaustion, and summer. Because it's hot out there. And we'll see how the protests continue in the weeks ahead. But this is the land of freedom. And America is free. Free to be a lot of things. And most of all, to be stupid. Dan Patrick is back. Who's Dan Patrick? The Texas lieutenant governor and man aspiring to be king of the stupid, Dan Patrick. Fauci said today that he's concerned about states like Texas that skipped over certain things. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We haven't skipped over anything. The only thing I'm skipping over is listening to him. You know, you have a lot of doctors on your show from day one. Your doctors have been right almost every time, and he has been wrong every time on every issue. I don't need his advice anymore. Not the sports guy, but the lieutenant governor of Texas. He says he doesn't need Fauci's advice anymore. Oh, yes, you do. And someone else in Texas does, too. You can't make this shit up. Yep. Have you heard? After Axl Rose got into it with Steam Venusian a couple weeks ago, ice is back. Vanilla ice. So Governor Greg Abbott's executive order finally went into place and closed all bars and put an end to concerts. With one notable exception. Vanilla ice at Emerald Point Bar and Grill on Friday. He wrote, 
I can't wait to get back to this. And then he posted an Instagram with some previous packed concert footage. And he wrote, the 90s were the best, yo. We didn't have coronavirus or cell phones or computers. We had 5.0s, Blockbuster, Beavis and Buttheads, Wayne's World, Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan. Mortal Kombat is still better than Fortnite. The last of the great decades. That's my really bad Vanilla Ice impression. But Vanilla Ice is really bad. And the concert is selling 2,500 tickets, which is roughly half the venue's potential. And tickets are from 25 bucks to 300 bucks. So imagine paying 300 bucks for the pleasure of getting yourself killed at a Vanilla Ice show. And there's a bonus. There's another retro act. Guess who it is? Color Me Bad will sex up the same venue on July 4th. Well, Color Me Positive positive that we have a winner the first from the world of music the virus is so excited and it can't wait to be there vanilla ice you are uniquely american and this independence day 2020 i am independently identifying you you've always been special but now you're really special you've been nominated for a grammy in 1991 for best solo rap performance and you've won that same year, you got the People's Choice Award for New Song. You've also won a Golden Raspberry Award, recognizing the worst the movie industry had to offer in 1991. Your film Cool as Ice was a 1991 American romantic musical comedy film that was a total commercial failure, grossing only a million bucks after costing six million. But you won a Golden Raspberry for it. And now, after a 19-year drought, you're a winner again. You have a new award. The same award held by Mayor Bill de Blasio, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, South Dakota's Christy Nome, Acting Secretary of the Navy Thomas Modley, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, we nailed that one, Senator Rand Paul, Vice President Mike Pence, the mobs of morons who took guns to the Michigan Capitol to protest the stay-at-home orders, and VA Secretary Robert Wilkie, the guy who pushed hydroxychloroquine on dying veterans on Memorial Day, the looters after the George Floyd murder. The radicals who totally want to eliminate the police, Paw Patrol, and The Wire, professional jackass and Florida Congressman Matt Gates, and recently, the utterly despicable Representative Louis Gohmert. You're going to join all of them, Ice. Congratulations. Break out them parachute pants and dance to this one. I drive really slow in the ultra-fast lane while people behind me are going Yep, yep. I would love to see Vanilla Ice versus Chuck D. I'd pay big money to see that. On TV, not in person. Almost as much as I'd pay to see Ron Perlman fight Ted Cruz. If you haven't heard that episode, go check it out. Yep, yep. But the stupid continues to spread across the cabinet, throughout the Trump administration, throughout the 1990s music industry, and most aggressively, inside the Pentagon and the DOD. The soul of the Pentagon is disintegrating in the shadow of President Mayhem. Secretary of Defense Jesper has never been more derelict. When it comes to the Russian bounties, what did Esper know? When did he know it? Why didn't he do anything? Drag his ass before Congress now and make him answer on behalf of the troops that he leads. Don't wait till November or January. Do it now. We can't wait. He was supposed to be a check on Trump. 
and he's been the opposite, and the record is clear. Trump has rampaged over the military and veterans community ever since he took office. And this week, John Fugelsang created the best summary I've ever seen. John's a host on SiriusXM channel 127. He's on Instagram. He has a podcast called The Sanity Cast. But he wrote a thread this week that helps us understand why every day President Mayhem is in office, our enemies are celebrating. It was a 27-part tweet, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. But here are some of the highlights. And John wrote, Here's a thread for anyone who's been conned into believing that Donald Trump cares about our U.S. military and our troops. Here's the list. He faked a disability five times to avoid a war he didn't oppose. Five non-rich guys went to Vietnam in his place. He tried to kick homeless vets off Fifth Avenue. He stole from vets via his fraud online university. He lied about donating $1 million to veterans' nonprofits. He said he'd make troops commit war crime. He pardoned a guy who committed war crime. He falsely claimed that he signed the Vets' Choice Bill into law. He insulted POWs. He insulted Gold Star families. He was fined for misusing funds from a 2016 Vets fundraiser. He called generals dopes and babies. He falsely accused U.S. service members of stealing funds from Iraqi reconstruction. He deployed 5,600 troops to the border in a midterm election stunt. He personally insulted Generals Allen, Mattis, Kelly, Powell, McChrystal, and Purple Heart recipients Mueller and Vindman and Admiral McRaven. He lied about donating $6 million to veterans groups. He sided with Putin against all branches of our military intelligence. He blew off a Veterans Day cemetery ceremony in France because it was raining. What he said to Maisha Johnson, the wife of ambush sergeant LaDavid Johnson, not going to repeat that. He's trying to cut SNAP. Do you understand how that hurts military families and bets? That's food stamps. He froze pay for all federal agencies via an executive order, and Fed workforce is 31% veterans. That means 323,000 bets. He undid regulations on predatory lenders who target military members. He's trying to destroy the post office, which employs 97,000 vets. He declared a fake national emergency to divert billions from the Pentagon to fund a wall that he lied Mexico would pay for. Oh, remember when he downplayed and trivialized troops with traumatic brain injuries? He insulted troops with PTSD. He used the National Guard to tear gas U.S. protesters so he could be photographed with an upside-down Bible. He forced West Point candidates to travel back to graduation during a plague, endangering their health and the health of their families for a photo op. He said 26,000 military sexual assaults were to be expected because America lets women serve. He announced transgender troops could no longer serve via a tweet without informing the Pentagon. He invited the Taliban to Camp David on the anniversary of 9-11. He claimed that his military budget made up for his lack of military experience. He told wife number two that he'd disown their daughter if she entered the military service. Remember his bullshit veterans hotline? He lied to U.S. troops in Iraq and said he'd given them their first pay raise in over a decade. He claimed if armored Humvee was hit by an IED, soldiers go up for a little ride upward and they come down. He blamed military leaders for a deadly failed Yemen mission he approved. He can't stop defending the Confederacy. He attacked Navy Captain Crozier, who sounded the COVID alarm for his six sailors. He used the military against peaceful protests. He had the government give hydroxychloroquine to vets with COVID-19, despite evidence it was dangerous. He keeps trying to destroy NATO. He ordered the Navy to strip medals from prosecutors in Eddie Gallagher's war crime trials, even though Gallagher was extremely guilty. He let Russia buy the murders of our soldiers. And he's known for months and said nothing about it. 
But wait, there's more. John really got all of these. He said, our military is a joke in a 2016 debate with Hillary Clinton. He fired Lieutenant Colonel Vindman for doing his duty. He fired Vindman's brother for being Vindman's brother. He plans to defund Stars and Stripes, the newspaper. He made our military stand down and watch our Kurdish allies be slaughtered and our bases overrun. He made the military do pit stops in Ireland to stay at his resort and use our tax dollars to pump into his property. He bloody saluted a North Korean general. And there's no greater proof of his indifference to the troops he uses as props than what happened in Niger. He passed the buck and blamed generals for four dead soldiers. He referred to the U.S. military as my military. And he constantly fought with John McCain, who's not around now. But John Fugelsang broke it down. He got it right more than anyone. I had even forgotten about some of those. But it continues to happen. As right now, Trump has signed off on the Pentagon strategy to pull out 9,500 troops from Germany. It's another gift of Vladimir Putin, enabled by Secretary Jesper. And if that wasn't enough, just keep in mind hurricane season is coming, and the already stressed National Guard is preparing for a more active hurricane season than ever before. Weather experts are predicting 30% more hurricanes than normal. And states like Florida, Texas, Georgia, South Carolina, as they get hit by the COVID, are preparing for hurricanes. So the National Guard's got their hands full. And Steve Bainon from Stars and Stripes posted about it. He said they've got the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. They've got COVID. They've got protests, hurricanes, the southern border, bridges, tunnels, airports. And the virus is still taking troops down. The numbers have more than doubled in the last few weeks. And more than 80 soldiers out of a survivor school class of roughly 110 students tested positive for COVID at Fort Bragg. These are all reasons that our enemies are celebrating. That's the hashtag and all examples of how President Mayhem has damaged our national security and endangered our freedom going into Independence Day. Our enemies love seeing the virus continue to spread out of control nationwide, and especially inside our military. And since we're all now focused on how the Russians want to kill our troops, maybe we can all focus again on how many of our former troops are being killed by the coronavirus, especially at the VA. And in places like Florida, Arizona, South Carolina, and Texas, cases tripled in June. Tripled in June. But Trump loves our vets, and the VA says everything is awesome. The number of active coronavirus cases among the Department of Veterans Affairs patients tripled in June, with more than 4,100 active cases and 138 medical sites all across the country. And 11 medical centers in five states have more than 100 coronavirus cases. Guess where they are? Texas, Arizona, Florida, South Carolina. And sites in San Antonio and Phoenix have more than 300 active cases now. And where's Wilkie? He's at the place that embodies what is wrong with the Trump and the VA response to the pandemic. He actually came out and he showed up in Phoenix, Arizona, at the medical center and in Tucson. VA coronavirus cases were up 170,000 in June. And Phoenix was the number one in the VA system of hospitals for active COVID cases. As of today, the medical center has 302 active cases, 21 deaths, and 507 cases overall. And all the while, the VA continues to oppose changing its sexist motto. Opposition from the VA and President Mayhem is really getting silly now. A few weeks ago, Wilkie was defending the display of Nazi swastikas at the VA cemetery, and now he's doubling down on a backward motto that excludes women and plans to add an additional 140 plaques at national cemeteries. Now, he's argued that it would be too costly to change the motto on all the VA's literature and facilities, 
but he's simultaneously proposing adding 140 plaques at the nation's national cemeteries. And VA spokesperson Christina Knoll said the new plaques will be in place by the end of the year. Well, you can expect veterans to be attached to those plaques by the end of the year, too. Protests will happen, and we will stop the plaques or we will hold up the plaques until we can remove the plaques. Because we will stand strong, like so many before us. Like the legend Carl Reiner, who died this week. Carl Reiner was a legend, and he was also a World War II vet. He was an actor, comedian, who was drafted in the Army Air Corps in 1943 and served in the Signal Corps as a radio and telephone operator. When the war ended with Germany and Japan, he was at Iwo Jima at a base camp entertaining his old outfit. And here's Reiner. I'm Carl Reiner. I'm 96 and a half years old, and I've seen a lot of things in my lifetime. I lived through the Great Depression. I served in World War II in our fight to defeat fascism. I've seen the invention of television and performed on television even before my family owned one. But what I've never seen is the American people being lied to every single day and about everything. Lies about climate change, lies about protecting Medicare and Social Security, lies about Russia attacking our elections, lies about protecting people with pre-existing conditions. In my 96 and a half years, <laughs> I've seen a lot of things, but the one thing I cannot bear to see is America being destroyed by racism, fear-mongering, and lies. Fortunately, there is something we can do about that. My personal goal will be to stick around until 2020 and vote to make sure we have a decent, moral, law-abiding citizen in Washington who will make us all proud again to live in America. He will be missed. And unfortunately, he won't be around to vote. But you will be. So remember Carl Reiner if you're thinking about staying home from voting. And if you need a reason to help motivate someone else to vote. Finally, the third storm that's raging and rocking and rolling all across our country quietly and steadily rumbles on. The 2020 election is still happening. Joe Biden is leading Trump 54 to 44 nationally now, according to some new polling, and 87% are dissatisfied with the direction the country is going. Just wait, that's going to go even higher as the COVID spreads. And here are the current state races in individual states, according to CNBC and the Change Research poll. Biden's leading by seven points in Arizona, five points in Florida, five points in Michigan, seven points in North Carolina, six points in Pennsylvania, and eight points in Wisconsin. And the sweepstakes rolls on. And there's a new name that has people talking. Senator Tammy Duckworth from Illinois is in the news after a big op-ed by columnist Frank Bruni in the New York Times and other articles. Tammy Duckworth is an Iraq vet, a double amputee, a former Army helicopter pilot, and many think she can be a powerful attack dog for Biden against Trump. She says she can push back against Trump in ways others can't. News broke that Russia offered bounties to Taliban-linked militants for the murders of U.S. troops and other coalition forces in Afghanistan. Bounties that have reportedly led to the death of at least one American service member, and they may have been more. Yet, while numerous news outlets have confirmed that Donald Trump was briefed on the matter months ago, 
His administration still hasn't taken any apparent steps to push back against Russia's blatant and provocative act of aggression. In fact, far from authorizing any normal, reasonable, expected retaliation, Trump has actually refused to issue even a cold word about the foreign adversary colluding with terrorists to kill Americans in exchange for cash. Instead, he's continued to heap praise on Russia and the tyrant at its helm, describing the, quote, great friendship between our countries as recently as last month, long after he reportedly learned about the bounty scheme. She definitely can. I've seen her in action. I've known her for a long time. She's tough. And she was the first U.S. senator to give birth while in office and to bring a baby to the floor of the U.S. Senate. And you want relatable? She's got two children under the age of six and is a working mom. I don't know how she does that. She's in a fourth year of her first term in the Senate. She's a woman of color. And as much as it's in the headlines right now, and as much as I wish it was, this is not a national security election. And I don't think she's a real finalist. It's smart of Biden and the Dems to float her name. It elevates her profile. And I'm talking to you about her now. And maybe you never heard of her before. And she'd make a historic choice, of course. She'd also make a historic choice as VA secretary or even secretary of defense. I've known her for many years. And she's a hero. And she's a leader. And she's a patriot. But I don't think she's the strongest pick for Biden or the most ready. Democrats love falling in love with candidates who look good on paper. And Duckworth does. But she's not on the level of an Elizabeth Warren or a Gretchen Whitmer. And she doesn't have the machine or field operation of someone who's already been running for president like Amy Klobuchar. So who's it going to be? My money's still on Kamala Harris right now. I think she's the most dynamic and she brings him more of what he needs than anybody else. But as we talk about Tammy Duckworth, we got an update on another female combat vet and a past guest of this pod. Amy McGrath won the Democratic primary in Kentucky and will face off against Senator Mitch McConnell. There it is, Andrea. You see that check mark? It just popped up. Our decision desk within the last two minutes has officially called this Democratic Senate primary in Kentucky for Amy McGrath over Charles Booker. McGrath will advance to face Mitch McConnell in what will certainly be an uphill fight for her in a very red state in the fall, but one that will get plenty of national attention. If you're a longtime listener of this show, you remember when I sat down with Amy McGrath in New York at the Classic Car Club in episode 17. She was the first woman to fly a combat mission for the Marines and subsequently flew 88 more. No matter what your party background, you'll be interested in hearing more about Amy McGrath. But she won 45 to 43 after a last minute challenge from a progressive opponent named Charles Booker. She narrowly won. She's positioned herself as a moderate in heavily red Kentucky and calls herself a fiscal conservative. She's flying into a firestorm, but she's done that before. And after only a month and a half until the Democratic and GOP conventions at the end of August, the fireworks are aplenty. But in times like this, as we look for freedom and we look for inspiration, we always look for the helpers. That's a theme of this show, and especially now. And we're in the greatest time we'll ever see in our lives for helpers to step up. We need these heroes. Heroes that we can celebrate as a great example of the best of what our country is all about. Even when times are tough, there are heroes out there and there are helpers. You just got to look for them. And that includes a lot of our firefighters. And it includes D.C.'s bravest Engine 29, Truck 5, and the 5th Battalion from the Palisades Firehouse that helped Ruth Kugzali celebrate her 99th birthday. Check this out. 
And in the Galella and Rykoff family, we did the same this weekend in New York for our 103-year-old Aunt Angie. Aunt Angie is 103. And the Continental Village Volunteer Fire Department and Mohegan Lake Volunteer Fire Department celebrated Aunt Angie with us. Big shout out to the firefighters and all those places, to my dad, Paulie O, and to everybody in the family that helped make it a special day for Aunt Angie. Aunt Angie's been around for 103 Fourth of Julys. And she was around before there was TV, before there was internet, before there was spacewalks. And this week, we had another fantastic American to celebrate, another helper, Jasmine Mogbili. She goes by Astro Jaws on Twitter, and she was the mission control voice guiding the astronauts on another spacewalk. A Navy test pilot, Mogbili was selected in 2017 to be the newest NASA astronaut, and she is now eligible for spaceflight. How would you feel about traveling farther than any human has ever gone before? I mean, isn't that why we signed up? I'm, I'm stoked about it. I grew up in Baldwin, New York. So between my junior and senior years of high school, I went to officer candidate school for 10 weeks. And then after graduating from college, I commissioned as a second lieutenant in the United States Marine Corps. Since I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. In sixth grade, I did a book report on Valentina Tereshkova, uh, first female in space, and we had to dress up uh, like the person we did the book report on. And, you know, so my mom helped me make a little a space suit. So it just kind of has always been in the background something I've wanted to do that's uh, somewhat driven my path in life. I had just taken a red-eye flight out to North Carolina for my good friend's wedding. And, you know, I hadn't gotten any sleep on the flight. Got to the hotel room. Luckily, they were kind enough to let me check in early. And I was standing outside the hotel room door. I had my suitcase, my backpack, my uniform bag, and my sword, because I was going to be in the sword art. So my hands were full, trying to get the door open. My phone's in my back pocket, and suddenly it starts ringing. Finally, I get the door open. I drop everything, shut the door. I think I even left my suitcase out in the hallway, and uh, and it was the uh, a couple members of the astronaut selection board. And so, you know, I answered the phone as calmly as I possibly could in that moment. In social sciences, I've always, you know, loved history and English and all those other classes as well, but. I always just gravitated towards the sciences and math and, you know, physics was always one of my favorite subjects. And for me, both my parents studied architecture, so the design aspect I also was very into, which is, I think, what drew me towards engineering. And then you combine that with my interest in the space program from a young age and aerospace engineering just seemed pretty natural. Surround yourself with good people that have the characteristics that you want to uh, to grow in yourself. I think if you surround yourself with people like that, you kind of bring each other up to a higher and higher level as you go. And I, I don't think there's a, there's anything that can help more than that. The 
She was a Super Cobra pilot and Marine Corps test pilot with over 150 combat missions and over 2,000 hours of flight time on 25 different aircraft. And this 4th of July, there's much in America we can be proud of. And Astro Jaws is just one example. And from heroes in astronaut suits to heroes in wedding dresses. Well, a chance encounter on Father's Day has left two Minnesota families forever connected. A nurse and her new husband heading home on their wedding day and a mother who rushed to the scene of an accident involving her son. That's where WCCO photojournalist Tony Peterson picks up the story. We've known each other since 2012. I popped the question and... And I said yes. She said yes. <laughs> the wedding was still wonderful. It was beautiful. It was Father's Day. and I think I was in the kitchen with my daughter when she received the phone call from my son's dad. We were just heading home. We exited off onto 7th there. Um, and as I was turning left, 5th. I just kind of went to check out the damage on his fender. And as I was turning around, we saw the black uh, Chevy Tahoe slide through the intersection and ram into the back of the van. Just like that, the other accident happened and I was there. I remember her walking up saying, my name is Rachel, I'm a nurse. I asked her what her name was and she said Tammy. Yeah, she kept me calm. I kind of flashed back to when I was in nursing school and I would help the moms in labor and I got pretty good at talking them through and calming them mm -hmm. down. So I was saying a lot of the same things I would say then. I get a little teary-eyed looking at the picture and I love her to death for helping me, but just his words to his wife, on his blog, reading them, I get teary-eyed. I'm happy that somehow the word got back to me that she was doing okay. I was really, I was really worried about her. Thank you so much for stopping and helping and bless her soul and I hope they're enjoying their honeymoon. It would have been crazy even if it wasn't our wedding day yeah. just to witness that. I think she helped save my life even more, you know, just physically and mentally being there at that time. I'm, I'm sure they're meant for each other getting married. <laughs> a newlywed nurse jumped to help an accident victim while she was still in her wedding gown. The Minnesota newlyweds were driving home on Father's Day when they saw an accident in South St. Paul, and the Twin Cities Pioneer Press reported it. Taylor was still in her wedding dress, and she could see the gash in the woman's right leg. She saw the bone in it, and she rushed over, inspected the damage, and helped the victim. Her newly minted husband, Calvin Taylor, 23, photographed the spectacle of his rock star wife and posted it on Facebook. Her husband wrote, Rachel and I are on our way to our honeymoon, and I'm still blown away that she got out of the car in a scary situation to do what she does best. I can't wait for a hospital to scoop her up so she can make a difference in people's lives every day. Taylor's a helper, even in a wedding dress, and we need them now more than ever. Willie Geis is the kind of guy who'd pull over on the side of the road to help a stranger, too. In his senior year at Ridgewood High School in New Jersey, Willie Geis was captain of the football and basketball teams. He was also the voice of the character Dim in the animated film Kung Fu Panda 3. Willie's great-grandfather, Herbie Lewis, is a member of the Hockey Hall of Fame, and he was captain of the Detroit Red Wings and led the team to two Stanley Cup wins from 1936 to 1937. That's the photo on Willie's Twitter page. Willie graduated from Vanderbilt, the same school his wife Christina went to, and began his career as an editor and producer for Sports Illustrated. He was a field reporter covering sports and covered the Super Bowl, the NCAA Final Four, and the Masters. And after Don Imus was fired in April of 2007, Willie began substituting as a co-host from NBC's 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. morning slot. And he was named a permanent co-host of Morning Joe with Joe Scarborough and Mika Brzezinski in September 2007. 
In 2009, Willie got his own 30-minute program called Way Too Early with Willie Geist, which had him up at O-Dark 30 every day and aired at 5.30 a.m. immediately before Morning Joe. Willie had great inspiration. His grandfather won a Stanley Cup, and his dad was a combat photographer in Vietnam where he earned a bronze star. And that's where Willie's sense of service comes from. He supports so many causes. Nobody in the spotlight's more generous with their time, their energy, and their money than Willie. He supports veterans especially, from Operation Men to IAVA to Team Rubicon. Every time we needed him, he was there. And he serves on the board of directors for the Michael J. Fox Foundation, which helps people suffering from Parkinson's, like his dad. In 2018, the National Father's Day Council named Willie a Father of the Year honoree. And he was named to People's Sexiest Man Alive list. And on March 31st, 1985, Willie Geist attended the first WrestleMania ever at Madison Square Garden with Andre the Giant, Mr. T, Muhammad Ali, Liberace, and Hulk Hogan. I am a real American, fight for the rights of every man. I am a real Angry Americans continues our groundbreaking focus on the frontline fighters of the front lines of our three storms, the virus, the protests, and the election. And this time, we have another important, inspiring, iconic guest that's on the front lines daily, pushing ideas on all three. A guest that shaped America's past, is shaping our present, and will surely shape our future. And he's a returning champion. Willie's a real American. He fights for the rights of every man. And he keeps it fun. And he brings the four eyes, especially on the 4th of July, just like any good Hulkamaniac. It's the integrity of training. It's the information of eating your vitamins. It's the inspiration of saying your prayers. It's the impact of believing in yourself. This 4th of July, this Independence Day, welcome to a conversation with a real American. And welcome to Angry Americans, episode 66. Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the world, I am so excited to have our returning champion, <laughs> our very first ever guest on Angry Americans, one of my favorite people in the world, and one of the most inspiring, kind, generous, and cool people I know. Uh, the great and powerful Willie Geist is back. Paul, great to be back, man. I'm glad you've already been through all the possible guests. You've gone all the way around the cycle, and now you've come back to me. It is an honor to be back. And by the way, I got to say, this is a much different podcast than that first one you and I sat together for in that little room with the whiteboard behind you, which I thought at first was the Polish consulate, and I went into the wrong <laughs> ring, and then I came up to you there. And look at you now, man, that beautiful garage with the car and the flag and the bourbon it's all happening for you and it's so much shittier than it was a year <laughs> in so i talked to you april of last year and it's going to be fun to go through like how much has changed since then yeah but yes you i accidentally sent you to the polish consulate uh and you thought we had an ornate room and we had this like white room with no windows at a studio but now i'm in my garage which may look okay because i've got this beautiful camaro but it actually smells terrible because I have a lot of garbage in here. 
and mm-hmm. I'm in a place, an undisclosed location, where I have to actually bring the garbage to the dump. Oh, yeah, I know that. Scene. And the dump has limited hours. <laughs> and the dump is not open on Tuesdays. And usually Ryder and I go to the dump together, and it's this big pride. He likes it. He gets to see the sure. trucks. And he gets to throw the glass in and break it. Yeah. But I've missed a couple dump windows. So it smells Ooh. really bad in here. And I'm so grateful you're not here to experience that. So just off camera, there are mountains of rotting garbage sitting next There's to you. like, no shit. There's like three cans. And I got to keep it closed so that the bears and shit don't get in here. Yeah, yeah. We got, we, we got some stuff up here, too. I, every morning when I go out to the trash, there are raccoon prints, dusty raccoon prints on the top of every garbage bin. And I don't know how they do it, but somehow they get in there and they flip open the top a little bit. They find a banana peel or something, and they yank it out. And I'm mystified by how they're doing this. But, yes, I'm with you on the garbage problem. I think this is good extra content for, like, Morning Joe, just outside your window to see – what uh, either animals or political operatives are going through your garbage. <laughs> if political operatives are going through my garbage, they're going to be terribly bored and terribly disappointed. I don't, well, well, let's talk about your setup. I have, I've been asking everybody since we started this in the pandemic, where are you and how are you? How are you dealing with this? So tell us where you are and, and you have a beautiful drum set behind you that I want you to tell us about, please. But, but also, buddy, like you and I have been talking over text, but how are you? How is the family? How are you dealing with this madness? We're good. You know, we feel lucky on a number of counts. Number one, everybody's healthy. Nobody's been sick yet. Knock on wood. Uh, we've worked hard to keep it that way. Um, it's been, you know, it's, I was thinking we're into July now. And that Thursday, was March 12th, was when this really started. And because we were on the brink of spring break. And uh, as of Thursday, March 12th, we were going skiing on Saturday the 14th. Mm. And imagine the idea of that. Of course, they closed all the ski mountains and everything else. So um, we are an hour outside New York City. Um, and I am sitting right now in a little, you'll see the bed over there, which I hope isn't too creepy for people. But you got a bed over my shoulder. And we're in like one of those little apartments over a garage is where I am. So these are my 10-year-old son, George's drums. I can't play them, so don't ask. He's really good at I'm not. My daughter's guitar is over there. They come up here and they play, and I'm planning on them becoming uh, a huge family band. So I can retire, be their manager, uh, siphon off a lot of their earnings, and become very wealthy myself. So, so far, that's the plan. But we're healthy. I'm lucky to have a job where I continue to work every day. That's a blessing. There are people going through real hardship. So um, having to help my kids through school and and do things like that is not even worth mentioning. So we're, we're doing great. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the music piece because for our returning guests, there have only been two now. Ron Perlman beat you to the punch, yeah. but that's because he was threatening to punch Ted Cruz. And okay. it was kind of an opportunistic moment. I, I texted you and said, I think, if, I hope you don't mind. Let's shift. I want you to be July 4th. Ron's in a, in a Twitter fist fight with Ted Cruz, so I'm yeah. going to put him on. Yeah. Um, but you are, you know, you will always be our inaugural guest. You will always be the first face on the Mount Rushmore of Righteous oh, Media. Come on. Come on. But I am now asking a question of all follow-up guests because you've already answered the car question. You told us about your, your Jeep CJ in episode one, which people yeah. should go back in here. It's amazing. But Willie Geist, what is your favorite band or artist? Okay. All time is the Stones, Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. I was raised on the Stones. Um, my father listened to the Stones a lot. When it, I, so early 80s is when I first kind of really became conscious 
um, of music as a kid, and that was Tattoo You, and then I went backward from there. My uncles all worshipped the Stones. So it was one of those things where you sort of couldn't avoid it. Um, and the fact that they're still around and playing music and they're running around the stage and playing, selling out MetLife Stadium and everything else, if you ask me the one band, it's the Rolling Stones. Now, I also grew up in the late 80s and early 90s in a time when hip-hop was going mainstream. And I grew up in New Jersey, right outside New York City. So we'd come home and watch this show called um, Video Music Box, hosted mm-hmm. by Alfred McDaniels. And it was a 30-minute video show. Remember the days when you couldn't just call up on YouTube and watch what you wanted? Yeah. You'd, hope and, you know, you'd hope you'd get you know, It Takes Two or The Symphony or like one of those great hip-hop songs. And so I... I so when I when I'm asked that question, it's the Stones forever for sure, but also like hip hop has of our generation was um, that was informative about who we are and and the kind of culture that we loved and the things we paid attention to. So not to be too much of a cliche, but Big Daddy Kane was my first love in the '80s. But then when Jay Z came along, that sort of changed things for me. And it's funny now my kids. That's their music. They listen to Kanye and they listen, that's, that's, they have, you know, my daughter listens to Taylor Swift, but like hip hop is the mainstream. It became that since we were kids. I love it. So I, there's another question that I've always asked everyone I've ever interviewed to work at IAVA on my team. It's kind of become a thing, right? And it worked well for me. And I was thinking about working it in this podcast and I didn't know how to do it, but you've given me an opening, right? You were a, a tight end or a linebacker back in the day in high school, right? Both. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah. So there, there's, there's an opening here that I wanted to hit and now you've given it to me. So okay. here is a question I asked just about everybody who ever worked at IABA in the interview process. Willie Geist, who is your favorite member of the Wu-Tang Clan? Oh, do you really ask that at IABA? Yes. And I'll tell you afterward why. <sighs> I think ODB probably. Old Dirty Bastard. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, boy, that's that's hard. That's like picking your favorite child. I'm going to go with ODB though. Is that and is why, that? why why ODB Willie? Um, because well, I think they were the thing that you loved about Wu Tang was that they were so raw and so authentic and like in some ways so unpolished. They were just speaking and growling, and I think he sort of exemplifies that when he's. I remember an interview he did. <laughs> where he talked about going to pick up a welfare check in a stretch limousine just because he could. And I was like, wow, that's so like offensive. But like the fact that you're comfortable saying that out loud in an interview in some way I have respect for. So I think he just exemplifies the Wu-Tang way of life. That, that was on brand for ODB. Yes. And yep. you will know, I will share with you that in my 15 years at IABA, ODB is by far the most popular answer. But here's the, here's the intricacy of the question. Yeah. So the question, first of all, is a culture question. It's a culture fit. Are you cool? I usually ask, do you like music? If they don't like music, they're not going to join the team. Right? Because <laughs> it just gets an insight into the heart of who the person is. Right? Yeah. And it's a culture fit. Can you respond to a question like that in a formal interview process? How do you react? Right? Just watching people respond to a difficult question. But it's also something else. It's an honesty question. Yep. Because I usually say, do you have a favorite member of the Wu-Tang Clan? And then they say, they almost always say yes. And I say, who is it? If they were lying, they can't tell me. And if they lie, they're gone. Wow. And, and then you also find out that 
people often like ODB and they go through a calculation in their head that you probably get at the speed of light because you're on TV. Do I say old dirty bastard or do I say ODB? And it's a deliberate choice by what you say, right? It's that you were on a recorded yeah. interview. You're a guy on TV. I don't know if they bleep you out on MSNBC if you said the words old dirty bastard or I not. So. I think we're clean on that. But yeah. it's, a, it's a good question. I think I'm going to keep, you think I, you're, you're the master of the interview. Should yeah. I keep using this question or? I think, yeah, I think it's a good question. And I didn't say ODB because I was worried about bleep. I was using shorthand. And I also think by asking me, by asking somebody an interview about the Wu-Tang Clan, now I know that you're cool with all that. So I'm going to say old dirty bastard because I know by asking me about the Wu-Tang Clan, you know about the Wu-Tang Clan and you're not going to suddenly be offended that I use the words old dirty bastard. So it does open it up. And you're right. If you're not a hip hop fan, which you probably encountered this or you don't know much about Wu-Tang Clan, you just say, you know, what? I didn't really listen to their music, but here's who I do like. And that's the honesty part of it. Right. Yeah. And you yeah. find out, find out if, they're a li- if they're a liar or not. And, and right. lying is a problem in America right now, especially in the Oval Office. <laughs> There's a lot of lying, yes. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But I wanted to ask you uh, also, Willie, life in the pandemic, media in the pandemic, um, I want to give people a look behind the curtains or the, 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 the lighting in people's living rooms. We've got you know, the bed behind you where the magic <laughs> happens. We've got your no son's drugs, no magic. I don't think but, there's ever been any magic, even sleeping magic. <laughs> but you and I were actually texting around March. I was texting. I was like, hey, man, are you going in the studio? Is it safe? What are you thinking? Because I got little kids. You've got kids. We're, you yeah. know, we're friends. I really trusted your, your counsel and your insight. And you were, you were right on the money. You were like, hey, I think they're going to start to shut it down. And there was that time, I think I did Ari Melber's show, like right at the end before they stopped doing it. And I had yeah. the conversation with Lauren. I'm like, do I go in or not? She's like, if you go in, I was in like an Uber with cellophane everywhere, gloves, mask, like yeah. go into the studio. But I still felt really vulnerable, right? And, and it was at a time when we didn't know what the hell was happening. And I frankly didn't know what NBC was going to ask, right? right? And they kind of gave you that like, do what you're comfortable with. Yeah, right. Yeah. And Thanks. then eventually, and then like two days later, it's all shut down. And I'm doing interviews in my wife's shoe closet. <laughs> <laughs> You were, you were you doing interviews, by the way, in the shoe closet. I know. I'm sorry. Say that again, Willie. You prefer doing all your interviews in your wife's shoe closet. I know that about you. I'm get, You know, we're all adapting, improvising, and overcoming. <laughs> but how do you do Morning Joe now? Can you can you break it down? Like, how are you guys yeah. doing this? And and what's it like to do um, such a high impact show, which you know the president is watching every single day, um, in the middle of a pandemic? So where I'm sitting now, I told you I'm in a little apartment above the garage. Downstairs in the garage, it looks more like where you are right now, except that um, there's an 80-inch TV monitor that serves as my backdrop. I've got lights, camera, obviously. It's got teleprompter. It's got all the things that I would have in a studio back there. And I just sit in a little stool that I got at Target and that I put together myself. It's a little squeaky. I'm working on that right now, a little WD-40. And um, I go in that room at about 5.30 every morning. I walk across the driveway, gravel driveway, jeans, slippers, no socks. I don't have socks on right now either. Uh, I do the jacket, the tie, and jeans on the bottom. And I walk in, I sit down, I check in with everybody. I dial in. There's called an IFB. It's a phone line you dial into. You hook it into your ear so you can hear everybody in New York, hear everybody on the show. Put on your mic and you just start talking like it's like it's uh, any other show. So it's, I started doing that 
it's when you talk about March, I mentioned that week in March when it all kind of shut down school and everything else. And that following week, which would have been the week of like the 16th, I think, I was in the studio still doing Morning Joe every day. And then it was that next week where everyone said, wait a minute, we can get you up on a short-term basis in your garage if you let us come put a little camera in there. And we did think it was going to be short-term. So they, at first, it was real down and dirty. I think the first day, if you look at the clip, like I didn't even have really have lights or anything like that. And they mm -hmm. said, if you're going to be here, we got to come dress this up a little bit. It is still national television after all. Mm -hmm. And so um, they kept coming back. And the, the way I knew that we were in for the long haul is like every other day, an NBC truck would pull in here and they're, hey, we're here to wire you up a little tighter, put a faster internet line in. And then the, the moment I really knew was when I pulled into my driveway one day and the whole trip up the road, like over a mile, there were Verizon trucks. And I thought, boy, I wonder what Verizon's doing. I followed the Verizon trucks into my driveway and they had run a mile of cable from, you got to go out, turn left, catch another road. And they were putting a fiber line just to improve the speed and improve the connection. That's when I was like, okay, NBC knows we're going to be here for more than a few weeks. This is going to go on for a while. And here we are. So it's weird. I mean, it's like what we're doing now. I'm sitting in that garage by myself and I'm talking to Joe and Mika or I'm talking to whatever political guest is on that day. And, you know, I'll say to my wife in the kitchen, oh, I got to run back across the driveway and Nancy Pelosi's in the garage. <laughs> I interviewed Nancy Pelosi, you know, or for my Sunday, I had yesterday, actually just yesterday, I interviewed Charlize Theron for my Sunday show. And this was in the afternoon. And she said, where are you going? I said, I got to go talk to Charlize Theron in the garage. You know, it's just like this weird universe that we're in. So I think, you know, because the stakes are so high with the conversations we're having, Viewers are tuned in anyway. They're tuned in in record numbers and they're forgiving of some of the technical stuff. There's a little delay between us, so it doesn't have that sort of the crackle of conversation that makes, I think, Morning Joe what it is and always has been. But, you know, I got to say our technical teams have done great for Joe and Mika and for me and even for our guests. People, you know, you're doing it right now. People catch on. They know, okay, I need a little light here. I need to improve my microphone. I'll move that plant behind me. And so it, it's taken on whoever you are, there's the air of professionalism to everyone's shot because we're sort of settling into this new universe. So it's weird, but I think we're pulling it off. You are. I mean, I'm, I'm anxious to see what Room Raider gives you for this setup you've got. I told you before we came in, Room Raider gave me a seven for the How car. Seven? Yeah. How is that a seven with the car alone as an eight? And then the flag. I think that Room Raider is part of the liberal media. And uh, <laughs> I am not a Democrat, as you know. I'm an independent. But yeah. by MSNBC standards, I'm conservative. Uh, sure, sure. Right? It's like me and Steve Schmidt and occasionally Rick Wilson, right? Like, no, Republicans yeah. rarely come on. You guys are the exception, okay? Morning right. Joe gets me. But, but beyond that, like, on the spectrum in MSNBC, I'm probably right of center. And, and Room Raider, uh, I, I think, has punished me for that. And I think Room Raider, on some levels, hates America. Um, oh, my gosh. And, oh. I think, and I also think Room Raider um, is, is a Ford fan and has told me that Room Raider does not like my Chevy. But here's my big thing. What? I, I actually want to take on the, the power of Room Raider because I think it's entirely authoritarian and undemocratic. <laughs> Like some dude somewhere just decides whether a car is more valuable than a potted plant. So I think I've pushed Room Raider on this and Room Raider 
politically savvy has not responded to these questions. But mm. I said, why don't you leave it up to the people? Let the people vote. Let the right. people vote. I think it'd be great for his web traffic too. But you know, John Heilman, your buddy Heilman with the Wu Tang sticker and like yeah. he's going to like the Guggenheim every day and changing his art so that Room Raider. Will, I'm not powering down to Room Raider, man. I refuse to bow down to Room Raider. Power to the people, Willie. Help me fight this fight. You know, you're fighting the important fight, Paul, <laughs> on the Room Raider website. I will not stand by and let you attack the integrity of Room Raider, mainly because I'd like a good rating. And so I do the show in the studio, so there's nothing to rate. It's just a picture of, you know, 30 Rock or whatever behind me. But they pulled out, I want to say, on maybe it was on Father's Day, an interview I did with my own father a year ago, posted that picture because we were in my dad's living room before I even knew about Room Raider, so I wasn't thinking about my Room Raider. Mm -hmm. And they gave us a 10 out of 10. I saw that. So they're good to me. So I say, bless you, Room Raider. But I, I don't understand. I think if a man has a, a Camaro in his garage and it's orange, that beats any plant, any flower arrangement, any piece of art that Heilman just you know rented and hung on his wall so he could get the 10. I'm giving you a 10 for what it's worth. And I think if you hang in long enough, you're going to wear them down. I, I, I appreciate that, that, that solidarity. Uh, <laughs> the, the, fight, the fight goes on. They've really um, gotten to you, Paul, haven't they? What's that? They've really gotten to you, Room Raider. No, I just, I like this. I'm, I like, like he, 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 he fucked with the wrong guy. Like, I am, <laughs> I am an organizer, okay? I've been organizing against presidents for the last three terms. I can take on Room Raider. And I think it's like, it's, it's, here's my, always my argument as an activist. If there is an injustice and you make the American people aware of it, they will, they will respond, they will have your back, and they will mobilize. And I think the American people fundamentally think that Room Raider is undemocratic. And I think the Russians may be tampering with the Room Raider results. Oh. And, oh. and, and so it's a this Russian is, operation? This is, wow. this is just getting started. I'm going to create like, um, what's, the, what's the conservative... Uh, version of Twitter that they're trying to create now. Oh, uh, Parlor. Parlor, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you can but create an alternate. You create an alternate Room Raider. Yeah, yeah. Like, like now, what backdrop if, buddy or something. I don't know. <laughs> now you've opened my mind. You know how that face app where everyone was like, "Oh, this is so great! I can make take a selfie and make myself look old." Yeah. It turned out it was like a Chinese government operation to get facial recognition. What if Room Raider is a Russian operation just to capture the inside of everyone's homes? I'm, so they can plot the invasion. I, I'm I tell people when I interview, be careful. Like, don't put any passwords on the wall. No. Make sure there's nothing up there that you want because, you know, my, intel my, my military background <laughs> kicks in here, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I also think there's some, there's some room shaming going on. Like, mm. I, am, I don't have a, 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 the budget that Heilman has to go to the Guggenheim and pull down something every week. <laughs> you know, I got... The re he, room raider says I should turn the Camaro around. There's a dent on the other side of the Camaro, okay? That's why I don't have the other side of the Camaro. And, I'm, you know, the Camaro is a work in progress, like me, like America. Yeah. So, so no, I why don't you turn it around? You can back it into the garage. They'd like to see a back in. I mean, they don't get to make that call. Come on. That's what he said. He wants me to turn the car around. And I was like, fuck you, room raider. I'm not turning my car around. <laughs> So <laughs> I love that you've chosen to die on this hill. <laughs> I'm not, I, cause I know I'm not going to die on this. <laughs> hill, man. I know, but so let's talk about, let's talk about, this is going to be a, a, a strange segue, but I do want to ask you before we get to Trump, which I want to get to um, this new media world, you think it's going back or is this the new normal? Like at what point, like, I don't, I don't, I'm up here, you know, in an undisclosed location, you're somewhere else. 
in part because I don't think NBC and CNN and others are probably going to make me come into a studio till next year. But I don't, I don't, what do you think, man? Like, will, will this always be an option going forward? Will you guys always accept someone via zoom from now on or Cisco instead of, uh, instead of in person, this kind of changes the media dynamic forever, right? Yeah, I think so too. I mean, there's definitely no rush to go back and I've, we've all been checking in just to get some idea of when we might, you know, be, convening there. And I'll tell you, I went in on Monday, I filled in for Hoda and did today's show with Savannah. And it's a ghost town for one thing. Um, and the other thing is you can't conceive of the day when you turn on a light switch and flood thousands of people back into 30 Rock. I mean, if you're going to really, honest to God, distance on an elevator, you're going to get two people per ride going up in this massive building. It's just as a logistical question, it, it doesn't work. And to your point, I think enough people have shown well enough that you can do this. I can interview Paul Reichoff and get the same insights, the same good insights I can get from him having to haul his ass into the studio as him in his wife's shoe closet where he prefers to be. And that's okay. That's his stuff. Uh, he likes to be surrounded by shoes. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, I think the, tr the truth is these setups we have here, there are, I don't know how many, they've, there are a bunch of them for NBC anchors. I don't know that they're going to leave all of them in place forever, but I can say honestly, if they said, hey, we're just going to leave that in your garage, well, all of a sudden I can do Fridays up here. I can do, um, uh, I can do Sunday. I can do my Sunday Today show up here. That's been working out well and not honestly lose that much. Mm. And so I think as they start looking at costs and how much it is to fire up a studio and have staff in the building and all those things, um, I think there's no question that our business, like every business and most things in our society is going to be impacted in a lasting way. In a way, we thought this in March, oh, this is a flash thing, put the camera up, we'll be back to work in a month. Now all of a sudden everyone's going, okay, what does my life look like if this is life now? Mm. And I think, you know, the school part of it, and, and there's a lot of it that we don't love, but um, in terms of work, if you said you have to stay up here and do it, we certainly could pull it off. Mm. And so I think, you know, I hope, I hope honestly, just as somebody who likes to produce TV, I hope we don't settle for like the crappy audio, audio Zoom interview with everybody because they don't feel like coming in. If it's safe to come in, it's better for you and I to be sitting at a table together, looking at each other in the eye. Um, but I do think, you know, the technology will improve from here and these, this shot will look better. Um, I did, I mentioned I did that interview with Charlize Theron and I'm going to mention as much as possible uh, if I can. Um, she was on, we were on Zoom. We did the interview on Zoom, but like she looked, I mean, she looked like she was shooting a movie. And she had something on her on her laptop that made it look like that. So you can imagine a world where if they say, okay, everything's going to be on Zoom for a long time, they just ship out whatever the device she had. I don't know if it was made for her or whatever. And she looked like she it looked like a professional TV shot. So I think long way to answer your question is I think a lot of people are going to say, hey, this isn't so bad. Um, it saves people commute time. It helps with childcare. There'll be all these factors that are mixed together. And I know there for a fact, there are producers on the Today Show, for example, who were like, I'm doing my job just as well. And I didn't have to drive in an hour, find a babysitter, drive home for an hour. Right. I'm just sitting at a different desk. I miss the interaction with people, but I don't think the work product is suffering in most cases. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 a giant cost benefit analysis, right? Like we're yeah. we're all trying to wrestle with it, and we've realized the audience is okay with a lower quality 
of image, right? And some glitches, but we also have advantages like you get to see in my garage and in your garage and you get a bit of intimacy, which yeah. I think is also strange for me. And I'll put like, I'm very careful about protecting my family and, you know, I get insane lunatics coming after me and so do you. Sure, so sure. I think for people outside of the media, they may not understand that we are still human beings and we need to be safe. Right. And even, you know, being careful about how, every, everything, but, um, you're also in an environment where similarly, like Fox was willing to take Trump on a call in because right. they knew getting him in person would be, would be tough or impossible. So, all right, he's the president. He can call in anytime. I'm sure if Obama wanted to call in any show, anytime they would have taken him and there's this new normal, but you're in a really unique spot since we talked last year, you know, your Sunday show is amazing. It continues to blow up. Morning Joe has probably become more influential than ever. Um, Trump is now engaging with Mika, engaging with Joe, but you seem to have avoided the fury. Uh, so two questions, Willie. One is like, what's it like for you to be in that environment where you literally don't know if you're going to wake up and this guy's going to come after your colleagues, come at, you know, as a journalist? And, yeah. and separately, to my knowledge, he hasn't come after you directly. Why do you think that is? It's funny. I've been asked that question a lot. And I think it might have been way back during the campaign. I think he tweeted about me once or something, but not since. And the, I think the honest to God answer is my dad was a, I think this is the answer. I don't know. But my dad wrote for the New York Times in the 1980s. He had a column. And in 1984, April of 1984, he wrote a cover story about this young, brash entrepreneur named Donald Trump for the New York Times magazine. And, um, it was the first time I think Trump, as we know, he seeks the approval of the New York Times. As we, he reminds us of that every day. Constantly, he was on the cover of the New York Times magazine, inside Trump Tower, this guy building his empire, whatever it was. And what was funny is, if you go back and read it, my dad was saying a lot of the things in his writing that people say now, where Trump says, I was number one in my class at Wharton. And the next sense for my dad is a phone call to the Wharton School of Economics showed he didn't attend Wharton and he definitely wasn't number one in his class. You know, he took some classes undergraduate, he didn't go to the graduate school. So it was all this like real time fact checking. And my dad sort of the whole article had his tongue in his cheek about this guy, this guy who has this inflated idea of who he is and who he's going to be. And, but what interesting and predictable is what Trump took away from the whole experience was that he was on the cover of the New York times magazine. And he still has it in Trump Tower in his office that's framed right next to it and meant the world framed right next to him. So he remembers my dad, who was William E. Geist. Yeah, that was his byline, Bill Geist. He remembers him fondly because he was the guy who wrote the story that led to that cover. So I think, honestly, I think, I think he feels some kinship with maybe my dad. And, and I think based on that, he feels some connection and... Um, I mean, the truth is I also probably don't say as pointed a, my criticisms aren't as direct and pointed maybe as Joe's and Mika's are or explicit, maybe is a better word. Um, so he hasn't tweeted much about me, but I mean, the stuff particularly, we, we typically blow it off because it's kind of, honestly, it's become boring. You know, the act is like, oh, he's doing this again. It's not like, oh, Trump tweeted. When Trump used to tweet about it, it was like, oh my gosh, the president's tweeting. When he tweets about everybody, but his latest round of stuff has been particularly gross um, when he's tweeting about Joe and basically accusing him of murder. 
a young woman who, who died in uh, Joe's congressional office in Florida way back in, in 2001 when Joe was in Washington. So, and he, you know, he just keeps putting his foot on the gas despite the fact that the man's widower has begged for mercy and he won't get it. So he will, Trump won't, won't listen to that. So it's a weird, weird thing to know that for him, it's so personal with our show. But on the, on the side that's not personal, a lot of times you'll see, I guess he flips back between the morning shows um, and he will tweet about something we have just talked about. He will tweet about it five minutes later. I mean, he's not even hiding it. So he's watching and reacting. It was actually this morning uh, we had de Blasio on, Mayor de Blasio. And I was asking about the police budget and the specifics of it. And he dropped in. He's like, we are going to paint Black Lives Matter on Fifth Avenue in front of Trump Tower. And he went on and I came back and said, so is that definitely happening? That's, you know, that's a little bit of news if you're definitely doing that. And he said it. And then five minutes later, Trump wrote a tweet about how outrageous it was and, you know, that he was, you know, sullying Fifth Avenue, the beautiful Fifth Avenue and all that. So it's a, it doesn't affect what we do or say. It doesn't affect the way I cover a story, but it is a reminder when you see the tweet, you go, oh, the, the you know, the most powerful guy on earth is watching and reacting to what I'm doing sitting alone in my garage <laughs> across the driveway. Yeah. I mean, the, the only thing that Trump has done recently that I agree with is criticize de Blasio, who, <laughs> who I think is the only politician who's a bigger failure than Trump on some levels. And especially when we look at the pandemic, I think that, that de Blasio has been a disaster. I've been calling him, you know, mayor disaster. Uh, and we call Trump President Mayhem. But, you know, especially with regard to the coronavirus response, like de Blasio, in my view, is as slow and derelict and unclear and even dishonest as, as Trump was. But now, you know, de Blasio is always kind of desperately trying to get something, right? So this, this, this Black Lives Matter thing, he's always late. He's kind of trolling the president. You know, right. he's, he doesn't want to talk about the budget, which is decimating the city, right? Yeah. But at, at the same time, there's this, when people come to Morning Joe, they know they're in the arena, right? It's, it's the spot. If you, if, you, if, you, if you even say something offhand on Morning Joe, it's news, right? And because you know Trump's watching and because everyone else is watching because they know Trump's watching. But right. I wonder if, if Willie, in part, Trump doesn't fuck with you because you're liked. And there is a political calculation in his head. And I called you in the first show, you're, you're America's sweetheart. Everybody loves Willie Geist. <laughs> I mean, you're more popular now than Taylor Swift by far. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Q no, rating just came out. Yeah. Just but, came out. And, you're, and you're uniquely effective, too, because you don't, you're not bombastic, because you weren't an elected official. You know, you, I think your, your criticisms carry more weight, especially with people who are moderate uh, and independent and maybe just more open-minded. But I, I want to ask you to just, because I don't think you get, people get to hear enough of what you think in an extended form, and it is a podcast, so I don't have to cut to a Viagra commercial or whatever you guys have on Morning Joe. Uh, but but okay, what do you think about what's going on right now? Like the, the state of the world, the state of our country, not Willie, the, the journalist, but Willie the father, Willie the patriot, you know, what's your breakdown of, of where we are? And, you know, maybe on some levels, if you're comfortable, how do you explain it to your kids? Because many of the folks listening look to you in the morning to try to, you know, you are kind of the voice of reason on that show. They know you're a dad, you're a person that people like. You know, what's your breakdown of this very precarious moment we're in, Willie? It's, I, it, it's interesting you put it that way, because I do think of it as the, through the prism of talking to my kids about what's going on, because this is, this is what they're growing up in. Think about how we grew up, you know, it was the Reagan years, and it was the 
the first Bush years, those are my first memories. The first time I voted, you know, with H.W. Bush and Clinton. And then this is like, these are the formative moments and what shitty formative moments for my kids, you know? So, so what I'm, a lot of what I do is just on a human level, on a personal level is, you know, this isn't the way, and I'm not just talking about Donald Trump here. I'm talking about our political culture that I cover and live in and talk to them about is like, this isn't the way you talk to people. This isn't the way, you know, the, the person who disagrees with you is not your enemy. They just have a different view of the world. Some of them are bad people. There's no question about it. But because someone disagrees with you doesn't mean your job is not to vaporize them and to crush them and say, all caps, I destroyed that person. That's not how the world works. And I also think like a big thing that I try to get across on the show, but I also talk to my kids and my wife and I talk about this is the loud extreme voices that dominate social media, in many cases, cable news those are the loud extreme voices, but there's all this other stuff happening in the country. You and I know if we, you know, if we go out and have a beer and we disagree on something, we're not screaming at each other and trying to vaporize each other. If you go to a dinner party, maybe some, but you're not, people aren't screaming and, and vaporizing each other. It's not about tearing people down. It's about now people in this moment are particularly emotional. And I understand that. Um, so I'm basically what I'm trying to do with my kids is just to like, in a way that is honest and realistic, tell them that we're going to be okay. And that because they're scared of the pandemic, they, you know, the, the social loss that they've had, the school was hard enough, but you're a 10 year old boy, you're in here playing your drums, but you're not out there playing with your buddies because you're not allowed to, or they don't want to come over because everyone's still concerned about it. That, that social stuff. And that's what I worry about right now in this moment is the social stuff with my kids. My daughter's going into eighth grade. Hmm. Middle school is a time where you're growing up in so many ways with girls and boys and everything else. And like that's all washed away. So we're trying to create some normalcy at the, begin- at, the, at the middle of this moment and keep their social interactions up. But culturally, I, I just, I don't want them to grow up thinking like this is the way it is, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and maybe it's irredeemable and maybe it will end up being the way it is. But I think to the extent I can, tell them not to lose sleep over the way uh, things are going right now or the way people are talking to each other and just kind of turn down the temperature on everything. I try to do that without sugarcoating it. The pandemic is terrible. People we know are sick. People have died in our town and, you know, in our city. And yes, those, all those stores are boarded up in our neighborhood and that that stuff is all scary. You know, it it feels like a, you know, a third world country in some places, but, um, just trying to project optimism the way a child should have optimism Mm. without, without sugarcoating what's actually going on in the country right now, which isn't great as you may have noticed. I I really appreciate how you put that Willie. I mean, you, you've been a kind of a a spirit animal for me and a role model for me as a dad. I remember when my first son was born and you and I were texting, you said to me once uh, it only gets better. Yeah. And, and it, it, the couple pieces of advice or wisdom that I've gotten that always stuck with me. Cause you were right. I was like, man, three months old is so amazing. And then yeah. one year old is so amazing. And two, and you go through blips, right? Like there've yeah. been some challenging times with tantrums and, you know, and especially raising kids in this environment, but you really, really, um, and I know it comes from your dad and, and you and Christina have, have such a loving family, but it was really helpful to me. And I know that people who watch you get that warmth 
from watching you and the subtle example that you, you put out there. But I want to ask you to build on that too. Any other parental advice that was either given to you or that you would give to others that, that you think is especially um, helpful now? Yeah, I mean, I think um, what my wife has always been really good at keeping calm. You know, I've seen just, it started actually, we, we, we joke, the, literally the day my daughter was born 13 years ago, on June 14th, 2007, she, you know, you're a first time parent, you don't know what to do. The hospital has handed you the keys to this car that you're totally unqualified to drive. Right. And I remember like, okay, what do we do? Okay, we got the diapers, we got all the things. And without getting graphic, my daughter, who was hours old, like went to the bathroom and I was like, okay, what do we, what do we do? And I'm like, okay, I got to get the thing. And I looked over at Christina and she was looking at her smiling. She goes, Oh, your little body is working. And I was like, Oh, like she had some calm in her that I had to learn from that. It was like, we're okay. Like we're relatively smart people. We're competent people far, (laughs) far less competent people than we are have done this. We're going to be okay. So I think she set that standard for calm and we've tried to keep that in our house. She and I don't yell at each other. We don't, we don't, you know, don't create that energy inside your house. And if you've got a disagreement, you guys can handle it, but don't project that onto your kids because then they get that anxiety and that kind Mm. of tension. And, and I'm not talking about fighting. We don't like get into fights. I just mean in general, if there's conflict, if there's a problem, Hey, let's talk about it. We had a couple days ago, my kids, I don't know what they were mad at each other. And we just sat him down on the couch and said, What's, what the hell's going on here, guys? What happened? And Lucy said, well, he, or, okay, don't say it like that. Chill, chill. And she said, well, I just don't like it. And he goes, okay, I didn't know you didn't like that. And that was it. It was like seven minutes and we walked away from it. So I think it's, it's sort of like our political culture. Everything doesn't need to be turned up to 11 all the time. I think if you can manage things with calm and conflicts will come up and adversity will come up that doesn't always lend itself to calm, but to the extent you can keep your household calm. And I also would say what my dad passed on to me just by osmosis is to have a sense of humor about things. That's especially in these few months, that's made a huge difference when you're bumping into each other in the kitchen every 10 minutes and you might be, Oh, it's you again. And Oh, okay. You know, the, when the sort of novelty and the magic has worn off, if you have humor in your relationship with your wife, your husband and your kids, you can go to that. You know, you can fall back on that. You can enjoy each other's company by just messing around. So I think calm and humor um, definitely get us through a lot. Thank you for that. that that's really important and insightful and, uh, even more than I could have hoped for in an answer from Willie guys. I think you, you got a dad of the year award at one point. I did. I don't know what the standard was for that, but I did. Yes, I did get that. Yeah. Well, it was, it was, it was, it was a uh, well-earned, but you even, you know, we said this in the first show, even you get angry, right? And this is a time where a lot of folks are angry, righteously angry. I've said it before. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention, especially right now. We've got this bounty gate going on. We've got the coronavirus. We've got, crazy shit every single day. Um, and when I asked you a year and a little more ago about what made you angry, we were talking about Puerto Rico. So it's like just so much has changed in that a year and a little bit ago, Puerto Rico was the big story. We couldn't have imagined where we'd be now, but I still think it's important to have this discussion about anger and about how to channel it into something positive because that is a natural reaction. So updated answer, Willie Geist, what makes you angry now? 
I'm angry at the complete lack of urgency by government. Hold on, I got a noise there, Willie. I don't know if that was yours or mine. Sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. Let me ask you again. Is that cool? Yeah. So, Willie, guys, what makes you angry now? I'm angry that government at every level isn't showing more urgency for this massive crisis that's burning its way across the country. It's like we decided because the coronavirus got tamped down in New York after the horrors we saw in our city that it was time to move on. I'm talking about us. I'm talking about the federal government saying, all right, everything the president has said since January forward about moving on, it's magically going to disappear and sort of wishing this away, refusing to wear masks, all the things that we're seeing out of our leadership and not treating this like the, for many people, an existential crisis that it is. That's, that's, be, that's not even angry. It's not even the word. That's, that's like criminal negligence. I mean, this is, this is, people are dying. It's happening again. It's happening in Los Angeles County right now. It's happening in Texas. It's happening in Georgia. It's happening in Arizona. It's popping up. And by the way, in exactly the way that all these public health experts and officials who work for the White House said it would. They said, we'll get it under control in these hot spots in the epicenters, New York, New Jersey up there. But it's going to come. It's going to make its way across the country. And the minute we let our guard down and we start to reopen everything and throw caution to the wind, that's when we're most vulnerable and exposed. So I think um, President Trump, to be generous, doesn't understand leadership. He doesn't understand. By the way, you serve with him, as we were talking about, you sort of have to put things in terms of how does it help him. If he had come out from the beginning and been this big crisis manager and this big leader that he pretended he was on The Apprentice and everything else, he, he, that would be a win. If he came out and made the mask thing like, hey, guys, I, know, I don't like it either. If you wear the mask, guess what? We open the restaurants sooner. We're going to football games in the fall. We got this. Why not? And why not? Because he thought that the very existence of the coronavirus hurt his political prospects. And so he was going to wish it away, which was naive, again, is, not, is too nice a word. It's, uh, it's outrageous. So the, the anger I see and feel every day as we report on these stories is that we wake up and it's another day where we haven't made this like a national, urgent, 24-7 mission to get tests out, to make sure everybody's wearing a mask, to race toward a vaccine, which a lot of good people are working on right now. It's, you couldn't think of anything more urgent, and it's like many people in the government just want to pretend it's gone. You can't click your heels and close your eyes and have this thing go away, and it's going to keep sprouting up if, if people say, you know what, we've moved past it, don't worry about the mask, go out, live your life. I don't like this. Believe me, I want to be hanging out with you. I want to be going to football games this fall. I want, God, I want my kids in school mm. in September. But we're not going to get there if we go on like this. And we've lost so much time, if you go back to January, that that is truly maddening. And I think history will frown on it and, and sort of reveal how devastating, how catastrophic it has been. 100%. I think I think I appreciate that breakdown. Uh, it, it's a 9-11 moment, right? Like Bush had a moment after 9-11 to get everybody together, to inspire the nation, to mobilize us in response to a threat, right? Yeah. And Trump had that same opportunity and he blew it, right? Yeah. He had the opportunity to even like pull out his jacked up candidate, his presidency, to turn it around, to get, actually get people behind him. And he blew it. And, and whether it was because he was selfish or because he's too stupid to understand or, you know, the, the leadership failure, I think, is really important, Willie, because for me, leadership is about prioritization, especially in government. 
Yep. And if you don't prioritize the right things and have a process and counsel to prioritize the right things and then put energy and resources behind them, then you fail as a leader, right? Like Trump chose not to prioritize the virus. And that, yep. in my view, should have been number one, right? And then the protest, number two, and then number three, something else, right? But And, and recognizing that it all endangers our national security, which is his number one priority, keep Americans and And we're not safe right now, right? We're not safe. Our people aren't safe. Our kids aren't safe. Our military, nobody's safe right now. We've never, I would argue we've never been less safe, but your breakdown is clear. Your leadership is clear. Uh, I'm going to ask you again, would you ever run for office? You may not see it behind me. I've started putting an Easter egg in the screen back here and I change it up and over my shoulder for mayor. It says, it says Willie for mayor. Uh, Andrew Yang has not jumped in. I think he would clear the field if he did. It's still a disparate convoluted landscape for mayor. Um, you, you know, you, you spent more time in New York than de Blasio. <laughs> you are beloved in New York more than de Blasio. You are a unifier. You are a healer. You are a healer. If, if, uh, if Biden is a healer on the national level, you could be a hero on, on a more local level. Willie, will you please run for mayor? Absolutely not. But I appreciate the sign. I admire the time you took with the sign. I just noticed it. I was so focused on the bourbon next to the sign that I totally missed the sign. Uh, I don't think so. I, why don't you run for You're Paul Rykoff. You're the one who should be running for something. Come on. You know, I, I, I am so not built for that job right now. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I am either. I, and, uh, I, also, I also think like... And I'm also, frankly, I don't think... I don't think... Uh, this, this is the no shit. I, a Democrat is going to win. Yeah. Um, I, I am not a Democrat. I'm an independent politically. and I'm not willing to compromise that to run for office. Right. Um, and I don't know if a white person can get elected in New York right now. I mean, I, I think the city is looking for a change in all yeah. ways, shapes, and, and, and forms. And I think, um, you know, Sean Donahue is trying to struggle to get traction. I don't even know if Corey Johnson, the, may, the, the Speaker yeah. of the House, is going to get the kind of traction uh, you know, Jumanji Williams is, is getting traction. He might be the person of the moment right now. Could be Letitia James. I think Letitia James yeah. has been formidable. And yeah. if she comes in late as the AG, um, I, I think New York really wants to see a visual change yeah. and, and a philosophical change. And unless it's an outsider with a ton of money, and that probably gets held against you too, I think they're looking for somebody who's really going to shake shit up. You know, DeBlasio yeah, was lucky. Uh, he was in the right moment at the right time, and he's fucked up every day since. But uh, but what's your you know? No, so I, but I I let me just say I admire I've we have mutual friends. I'm thinking of our buddy Wes Moore. For I, you took the words out of my mouth. He like you know, and I respect everybody's personal reasons for wanting to or not wanting to. He's still a young guy too. He may well, but you know the 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 ringer that you go through and this sort of become cliche, but you go through that's the attacks, the unfair stuff, the stuff in your past. That's not really a story, but they make a story, you put your kids through all that, that that's tough enough. And now in New York city, you're walking into such a tough environment. I'm not, I'm, I know we're half kidding about my running or you're running for mayor, but whoever walks into that job, I mean, I, I mentioned we had de Blasio on today and I said, with this budget, you've managed to please no one. So the people who wanted real police change didn't get anything. And now you pissed off the people who say, why did you take all this money out of the police yeah. budget? It didn't accomplish anything. So, but that's not, that's, in other words, you go into these jobs and you're, 
you're getting shredded either way based on what you do. So you just do what you think is right. And I'm not sure he did that. I think he tried to placate two people with one, two sides with one budget and ended up placating nobody with it. That's, that's, that's de Blasio in a nutshell. He tries to make everybody happy and he makes nobody happy. And he always does it too slow and too weakly. You know, somebody told me when I was in Iraq once, they said, um, you know, the only thing that united people was Sudan and their hatred for Saddam. And then when Saddam left, they were united against the Americans. Right. So like Americans are kind of united against Trump. And the only thing that unites New Yorkers now is de Blasio. Like yeah. he's the only thing that brings everyone together is their unified hatred for him. But I, I'm glad you mentioned West because I think he's become a man of the moment. Yeah. You know, if, 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 if Biden hadn't committed to a woman, it would be a, a viable thing to talk about Westmore as a VP candidate potentially, right? right. Like yeah. he has got all the ingredients for this moment, his understanding, his expertise, his, his bio. Um, and, and I think there is this new moment for rising leaders, but we gotta, I gotta ask you real quick about the VP candidacy, right? This is going to be a big moment, probably the biggest moment before the fall. Yeah. Um, you had Tammy Duckworth on this week. She's now rumored. I mean, do you have a prediction? Uh, I know you probably can't make an endorsement, right? Who you think would be the best candidate, but do you, if you, you're, you know, you're a sports fan, you're a betting yeah. person. Yeah. And, and who do you think is going to, uh, I'll ask you a two part question. One, who do you think will be the VP candidate? And do you think we'll have any sports before the end of the year at all? <laughs> oh man, I hope so. I'll take your first question first. I think, I think at the end of the day, um, campaigns are risk averse, especially one that appears to be uh, leading the way it is. And I think Kamala Harris is probably the campaign views her as the safest bet in their eyes, she's a United States Senator. She ran for president. She's well known. I think she'll pass the executive test in the eyes of some voters and in the Biden campaign. But there are some really interesting, I think Val Demings is incredibly impressive, mm. especially in this moment. She was the chief of police in Orlando, now the Congresswoman from Florida. She's really, we've had her on. She's really, really smart and understands, understands, um, the dynamic of what's happening in the country right mm. now in a way that she brings a different perspective to it. Susan Rice is a name that's been out there. But if you were telling me to lay money as a better, I'd put it on Kamala Harris. I think a lot of people also were looking at this with no disrespect as Joe Biden's going to be 78 years old. If he wins and he's sworn into office, he'll be 78 on inauguration day. And they're looking at like, who's next, you know, if he just, because he could, it's not totally inconceivable that he says, Hey, one term. I'm going to do one term. I want to get get us past Trump and then hand the baton to somebody else. Can people see that next person sliding in in four years, eight years at the most, but four years? And I think for a lot of Democratic voters, whatever problems some of them do have, and those, believe me, popped up during the campaign, um, they can see that in her. And they may not know Val Demings well enough to make that determination. But, I mean, the truth is, if you think about it, if you're a Democratic voter, if you're not energized enough to go out and vote by the fact that you're voting to get Donald Trump out of office, this is for Democrats. I don't think the running mate makes that much of a difference, to be honest with you. I mean, this is about Donald Trump, let's be honest. So, um, so I think, I think the money is on Kamala, but you know what? Uh, People have said, well, you know, what about McCain with Sarah Palin? But that was a, they had to pull some out of their hat because they were blind, you know? And so that Biden's not in that position. So he may play it safe. Sports, God, I hope. God, God. I mean, that, you know, on the, I, we've missed that so much, both of my kids. Thank God for the Jordan doc, you know. That, right. that, got, that got us through some time. Yeah, we had David uh, Aldridge on the show to break that down. It was, it oh, was yeah. such a great 
moment uh, and, and a good thing to share with families, right? Like, did you watch it with George? Yeah, we watched it. My sister actually works at ESPN. She was one of the executives. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So um, Last Dance, we, it was, and what I loved about it too is it wasn't all released at once. It was that old school feeling of, ooh, it's Sunday, you know? Yeah. Like, we got to eat dinner first. We got to be in place. Because the kids would watch the the episode from last week before the new one because they couldn't stay up late the week before. So we'd watch two hours of it together and it was awesome. But that was, that was our only real taste of sports. So I hope baseball begins this. I'm like you, a huge football fan. I'm just praying we get some sort of football, but can you imagine like Auburn or Alabama LSU with 20,000 people scattered around and it's kind of echoey in the stadium and the things that make sports great, the energy around them, the stadium, everything else will be stripped away. But to be honest with you, I'll take, Christina says all it takes for me to watch something on TV is two people in different colored shirts running at each other and we're chasing a ball around. She's like, who's this now? I'm like, oh, this is the uh, 1996 Sugar Bowl. Yeah. Are you watching? I was like, oh, it was on. Yeah. yeah. Different colored shirts chasing a ball. Uh, So I hope so. I I mean, I think, I hope the NBA gets off the ground. I think, you know, you're seeing some guys who are like, it just ain't worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're going to pay me anyway, and I'm not going in the bubble and risking me and my family, I'm just going to sit this out. And it's a shortened season that's always going to have an asterisk next to it. So, um, but I think, I hope that for a fan's sake, I hope we get something. I need football at least. What do you think? I'm not optimistic. I, I, I don't think we're going to get sports. I think they're going to start and stop and start and stop. And just because of the direction of the pandemic and where it's hitting, I mean, there's no way you're going to have, you know, something in Alabama or Louisiana or California. Right. So, you, you know, I think you're going to see this series of starts and stops. And, and the, the reality is that the unions are pretty strong in some of these sports. And if they are still getting paid, they're going to hold out. They've held out before when times are good. Baseball, part of why I lost my love, my deep love for baseball is because of so many shutdowns and strikes, right? And yeah. Don Mattingly never got his, his World uh, Series uh, ring, right? But, yeah. but I think, you know, baseball has always got the hardest players union and, and all Britain negotiations always break down. So even if they get it going, uh, I, I think it's going to, I think all across the country, it's going to hit harder and lower. And like, we've got to hit that rock bottom before people get to a reality and we get a reset. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm not optimistic, man, but I am optimistic. I'm sorry. About- my, I'm sorry my microwave keeps digging on you. Is that what it is? Your microwave keeps no, digging? It's no, it's text messages, but I can't, I, it's muted on my phone, but it's dinging. See, I love this. This is real because I thought it might be, you have a burrito waiting. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Or it's the or it's the, the Verizon people. You think they were Verizon setting up those phone lines? It was Trump ah, and the NSA. Same people behind Room Raider. They're all, <laughs> they're all working together. It wasn't really Charlize Theron that you interviewed. <laughs> it was an imposter. It was a Russian yeah. imposter that wanted access to the inside oh of your God. garage, man. They're in. They're on the inside. I'm, I'm so. telling you, man. I'm telling you. But it's weird too because you guys use. Uh, what do you guys use? You guys use like FaceTime or Skype and then CNN uses this Cisco thing. Like everybody uses some different shit and I'm, you know, because I'm not on a network, I bounce around and it's like, it's kind of like Russian roulette trying to figure out which technology platform I'm going to use every time I do an interview. At least you got some consistency there, man. I've been filling in this week with Jenna Bush Hager on her. She is the fourth hour of the Today Show with Hope. And man, they're piecing that thing together with scotch tape. We started the show See if I have this right. We did something on Skype 
And then they said, okay, now we're switching to Zoom. Yeah. And then we did, then we did FaceTime. So within the space of one show, we were on three different platforms. It's like, I yeah. got to remember where the login is. It's crazy. You know, Dylan Dreyer is a friend of ours and, and yeah. uh, her son and my son hang out and they've been trying to figure it out too. And I'm talking to her husband about how they're trying to rig this stuff. And um, I'm glad she's back because yeah. she yeah. is just like a voice of light. <laughs> Awesome. in America. Right. But, but all of us are trying to figure it out. Let me, let me ask you one last question, which I asked you last time is, uh, give us something, please, Willie, that makes you happy and not, I know your family makes you happy, but what's something that's keeping you happy through these hard times, a touchstone for you that makes you happy. Besides the bourbon, would you say? You can go with bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, what's making me happy. That's I'm glad you asked this. So because we look, we looked at this summer and summer camps were closed. And we're like, what are we doing this summer? So there's a little lake, there's a little lake near our house. And I looked at the summer and I thought, what are we gonna do with the summer? What's gonna be our thing? You know, we can't see people the way we want to, we're not gonna travel. So I went and bought a little boat, mm -hmm. small boat. And I get up there, if the kids are out doing something, I'll just, it's 30 minutes from here, I'll drive up there. It's a power boat and I get out there on the lake and it's a couple of hours. I'm not even looking at my phone except for changing the song. The wind's blowing on you. You're up there and it's just pure. It's you know, the cool water and the mountains and the trees. And it's just total peace and solitude. And the world we're living in is nowhere near there. It can't touch you there. Uh, work can't touch you. The demands of what you have to do for the show that day are left behind. So that is, I hadn't considered your question, but the minute you said it, I went to that happy place. Mm. Especially if you go like when the sun's about to go down or even early in the morning and it's totally flat and you shoot way up the lake where there are no other boats and no other people. And you're just like, you feel blessed. You feel lucky, you know? And that's when you start thinking about all the, that's when the good stuff comes through. You know, you think about mm. your own family, you think about the love and blessings in your life and, um, hoping that we can come out on the other side of this, all of this uh, better than we are right now. You give us hope that we can. We, we, are, we are blessed to know you. Uh, you make us happy. You make a lot of Americans happy. Uh, you, you, you are a great ambassador for our country, for all those looking in from the outside who are terrified by what Trump is doing. They can look to Willie Geist as a source of hope and inspiration and calm. Um, I gave you gifts last time. I'll give you gifts again. I'm going to do it real quick. You Ooh. get more Angry Americans gear. Yes. Okay. Yes. I think I have I sent you pictures. My kids all have one of those t-shirts. Really? Like, favorite shirt. Yeah. That's a, they're really comfy, right? Great. I don't know what you're making those out of, but that's a high quality t-shirt. Made by the veterans of Oscar Mike in America. So every there time you, you buy one of those, it, it, it supports American jobs. It actually does. Good. Um, and then I gave you peeps last time, but did I ask you to pick a color? I think, did we just do the classic yellow? I think no. I just gave it to you and you said classic yellow, right? But I'm giving you more yeah. peeps because this, ever since then, we've been keeping it up. Every single guest has told us their favorite color of peeps and why. So you still <laughs> going with yellow? Yeah, I'm going to go with yellow just as a classic. I don't want to be boring, but I'm a classic kind okay. of. Okay, great. We, we now have a, a generous sponsor, Bravo Sierra, that, that makes incredible um, health and wellness products and, uh, and grooming products. I can get you some antibacterial wipes to go Love on it. the boat. Can't have some, enough of those. And some deodorant for your next uh, interview with Charlie Theron's <laughs> imposter. Um, and then Uncle Nearest 
You talked about bourbon. Oh, That's some amazing God. premium whiskey from Uncle Nearest coming your way. Oh, my God. Just Jeffrey the- Wright turned us on to this. It's awesome. Um, and they are a generous supporter of the show now. So we've, we've come a little bit of a ways. Now we have whiskey that we can actually give people uh, from that a very cool fantastic. brand with great Because value. when I came, when the first episode, when I was there, after I went to the Polish consulate, we had peeps and bourbon together. But now it's official. We're staying with it, man. Like you, you set, you set the tone, you set the, the template and we've been r- running with that ever since. And because it's 4th of July coming up, uh, I'm, j- I'm going to get you a red, white, and blue flask. Oh, really? Yeah. That it's, is awesome. It says red, white, red, white, and booze. That's fantastic. Um, so you could take it on the boat and wow. you could. I, I was getting all this, man. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to play the drums to take us out. I can't. I would. I can't. I have to look his sticks are right Can here. you twirl drumsticks? No, that's his. I'm just the, I'm, again, again, I'm the manager. I'm the business manager. You're a very good manager. This could be a lot worse than having you. Next time I see you, we'll take my Camaro, your boat, and I'll teach you how to spin drumsticks. Yes, I need to. Dude, I'm so happy to see how far this has come in just over a year. When we were sitting up in that room in front of the whiteboard, we weren't sure where it was headed. Now it's part of the conversation. People are checking it out. You're getting amazing guests and you're I think you're channeling what the country's feeling. So congratulations on that. And congratulations on your soon to be 10 out of 10 room rating. (laughs) Well, thank you, my friend. I appreciate you very much. I just want you to know you've, you've had our back from the beginning. You've had my back from the beginning and all the work I've done over the years and especially launching this new venture. I don't think there's anybody who's been more supportive than you of me, of my family. So I'm very, very grateful for your friendship, but also in this moment, grateful for the energy you're bringing to this country, man. Uh, I love you. I appreciate you. You're a great American. And I hope you're, uh, you're going to keep your shorts on because I know you don't have long pants on probably. <laughs> Get on the boat and go out there and, and enjoy it and stay frosty, man. Paul, you're the best, man. Thanks so much. Thank you, my brother. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. All right. This Independence Month and week and day, what's more American than high-performance, high-quality, kick-ass, made-in-the-USA grooming products that are field-tested by our military with free shipping? How do you like that? That's free shipping. That's why we're celebrating 4th of July as a company with Bravo Sierra, site-wide free shipping on all orders through Sunday. Go to bravosierra.com, and you can simplify without sacrificing performance Highly effective, non-toxic grooming products that stand the test of the most active lifestyles, perfect for the summer. Give yourself an Independence Day present. Give it to a patriot that you love. And Bravo Sierra gives back 5% of all sales to support programs for active duty service members, veterans, and their families. You'll feel clean, look good, and smell great all day long with products that are healthy, high quality, affordable, and American Men's Health calls it a game-changing grooming line, and I echo that. So check out bravosierra.com right now. Check out their hair and body solid cleanser, which I need after recording this show in a hot car. Check out the anti-soap, 
That is their hair and body cleansing unscented stuff. It's awesome. The Barber Set, the best shave of your life with their shaving foam, face moisturizer, hair grooming paste. It's really cool stuff. Go to bravosierra.com. High quality, affordable, social manufacturing, and field tested. It's fragrance-free. It doesn't stain your clothes, and everything is affordable. And if you don't love it, you get your money back, no questions asked. Grooming Essentials, field tested by members of the U.S. military and by me, Flo Groberg, and the Angry Americans community. Made in the USA and kicking ass just like this show. Celebrate America. Check out bravosierra.com. There's plenty of reason to be angry right now for everyone, everywhere, even on Independence Day. But there's a way to turn it, a way to channel it, a way to harness it. Think about it like a firework. It can blow up in your hand or it can shoot into the sky. And always, it's a way to make an impact. So it's time to turn that anger, sadness, frustration, inspiration, and agony into positive impact. It's time to take that firework and be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Every show, I give you a way to convert that righteous, understandable anger into positive impact. A super burst of light. A positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that channels that energy, makes you feel good, and makes a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four eyes, integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. America's banged up, but we're still rocking. And the American flag has a long history. And this week, I took the garbage to the dump. That's what I do now. And my son comes with me. And a couple weeks ago, we noticed that the flag at the dump was tattered and torn. And my son has been taught to understand the flag and think about the flag and respect the flag. And he understands what it means. And he thinks about it. And he said, Daddy, we should get those guys a new flag. So we did. And this week, after we dropped off our stinky garbage and after we sorted through all our recycling and after Ryder got to break some glass, we cleaned up our mess. And then we gave these guys a flag, a new flag. And they appreciated it. It's a tough time to be an American. But that's the time when it's most important to understand what America is all about. So here's my challenge. Fly an American flag because you represent America. And the more people that fly that American flag, the more diverse the support that it embodies. That flag doesn't belong to Donald Trump. It doesn't belong to a political party. It belongs to all of us. And we are what it stands for. And I encourage you to learn about the flag. Go to VFW.org. The Veterans of Foreign Wars has a great website where you can find out more about the protocols of flying the flag and what the flag means. Whether you're looking for historical details of how the U.S. flag came to be or the rules and regulations that encompass the daily flight, the VFW will ensure that you can find the information you need. And you can also go to NationalFlagFoundation.org. You can find out again about the history, the etiquette, stories, and watch us light up America in unity against the COVID-19 and injustice. As a unique display of unity and respect, they will remember those who died from COVID-19 and honor the heroes who saved countless American lives. They'll also recognize those who continue to fight for equal justice under the law during this time of national mourning following the death of George Floyd. It's a chance to reunite America. Our flag was born in 1777 through the power of a revolution. And out of that revolution came its meeting, liberty and justice for all. 
a birthright for every American that we fight to protect and reestablish. We're a divided and opinionated country, but we can stand united under a flag and this historic symbol in whatever way you want to fly. One country, one people, one flag. It inspires confidence and stands for courageous, unselfish experiences of our citizens as they protect our freedom here and throughout the world. As we retake the freedom of our country, we got to retake the flag too. And that starts with you. Go to nationalflagfoundation.org and learn more about the flag. And this Independence Day, make it yours. Fly the flag because you want to fly it for whatever reason you want, whether it's for George Floyd or your grandfather or the people who died or because you like red, white, and blue. Fly the flag for whatever reason you want. When people ask you why you're flying it, give them your answer. That flag doesn't belong to Donald Trump and it doesn't belong to a political party. It belongs to you, to me, and to the future. And if you got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media and use the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Don't just be angry. Be active and keep rocking in the USA. All right, people, going into this Independence Day, we are lighting off like a mortar. We are killing it. And Angry Americans is flying up the news and politics charts worldwide. Check this out. We are now number 38 in the U.S., We are number 11 in Mexico. We are number seven in Canada, number three in Portugal, and number one in Ecuador. In Ecuador, we are number one. Hooray! That's Ecuador's national anthem. Ecuador is a beautiful country of 17 million people, and it got its independence from Spain on May 24th, 1822, and from Gran Colombia on May 13th, 1830. And in 2018, the last year we have data, 443,000 immigrants came to the United States from Ecuador. And in case you're wondering, that's not that high on the list. It's only 1% of all immigrants. In in comparison, India, in the same year, had over 2.6 million immigrants and 5.6% of the overall total. Ecuador is the largest exporter of bananas in the world, accounting for up to 23% of all bananas. And I love bananas. And the summit of Mount Chimborazo, Ecuador's highest mountain, is the point on Earth closest to the sun. Because of the mountain location on the equatorial bulge, its summit is the farthest point from the Earth's core. That means that Ecuador is the closest country to space and the closest country to our space station and our astronauts. And since Ecuador is so close to space, a big shout out to a good reason to be proud Americans this Independence Day. NASA astronauts Chris Cassidy and Robert Bankin conducted a spacewalk outside of the International Space Station to replace some lithium-ion batteries. It's the second spacewalk they've done since the SpaceX launch, and it was really cool. They were out there for about six hours and one minute. Doug, Doug, check. Robo, Doug. Unclear, Chris. How many? Okay, well, I'm clear. I'm, uh... Just a minute or two from up and on the pallet. And up in that space station was Chris Cassidy, astronaut Chris Cassidy, who goes by Astro underscore Seal on Twitter. And yesterday he paused to honor and remember his Navy SEAL and Special Operations brothers who lost their lives during Operation Red Wing 15 years ago. 19 special operators died in the hills of the Kunar province in Afghanistan. And he wanted to make sure they would not be forgotten in space. 
And so Cassidy, along with Benkin and NASA astronaut Doug Hurley, are on the space station crew now. And apparently, if you have the money, you can do a spacewalk yourself. Check this out. This is my Independence Day gift to you. Check out spaceadventures.com. Apparently, there's a website, and Space Adventures is the world's premier private spaceflight company and the only company providing opportunities for private astronauts to fly and live in space. They've arranged eight space flights with seven clients who've cumulatively spent over 80 days in space, and their vision is to open space flight and space frontier to private citizens. So check out spaceadventures.com. And one of the participants in a 2023 Soyuz mission to the International Space Station will have the opportunity to conduct a spacewalk. You'll be up there for about two weeks, and it allows time to prepare for and perform the spacewalk. You'd become the first private citizen to walk in space. You'd enjoy an unobstructed view of the Earth and of Ecuador, and you'd spend approximately two weeks aboard the International Space Station. Check out the website. It might only cost you a few hundred million dollars. Maybe, since Trump's a billionaire, we can send him up there. But seriously, big thanks to the astronauts for continuing to give us inspiration and reason to be proud to be American this Independence Day. And all the other folks who made this Independence Day special happen, big thanks, of course, to Willie Geist. He is an amazing American and such a good dude. I'm so thankful and honored to call him my friend. He's got an amazing family. His wife, Christina, is even more amazing than he is. Watch him on Morning Joe. Watch him on the Today Show. Watch him on his amazing Sunday Morning Today Show. Follow him on Twitter and Instagram and read his book, Good Talk, Dad. The Birds and the Bees and Other Conversations We Forgot to Have with His Dad, Bill Geist. Willie will teach you a lot about life. And he represents all that this country is all about. We appreciate you, man. Thanks for all you do. And thanks for joining me on this show for the second time. Also, thanks to the intrepid, independent, righteous media team, Mighty Mercy Rich, creative Chris Rosenthal, bombastic Bill Schultz, who's working hard all the time to make this show amazing. We brought it to you late last time. My apologies on that, but good things come to those who wait. And if this one gets to you late, I apologize for that as well, but I hope it's worth it. Bill makes it possible. Bravo Sierra also makes it possible. Father's Day was last weekend. Many of you tried Bravo Sierra, and I hoped you liked it. If you did, post on social media and use the hashtag AngryAmericans. Let me know. And now, for July 4th, go to Bravo Sierra and get free shipping and 15% off. Thanks also to another great American brand, Uncle Nearest. You've heard about it before, but American-made whiskey that kicks ass. Check out Uncle Nearest, and our thanks to them for their support. And my deepest thanks to the incredible patriots that are in the Patreon community, our vigilant, very vigilant, most vigilant. Look for Angry Americans on Patreon, and I've been sharing inside looks in the garage, telling you what guests are coming up and other goodies. We're going to send you some special gifts, and you can find a link in the description wherever you got this pod. I want to thank our newest Patreon members who are part of our July 4th crew, our July 4th trio. I want to thank Rami Schatz, who just joined The Righteous, and Catherine Scott and Tim Paul. Thank you all for being a part of this team. Rami, Catherine, and Tim, welcome to The Vigilant. Thanks for making this possible. Thanks also again to Aunt Angie. Happy birthday, Aunt Angie. Thanks for letting me use your car. We're taking good care of Ruby. And happy 103rd birthday. You are an incredible American, and we love you so much. Thanks also to my friend Chris Cuomo. He had me on CNN this week. He continues to be a great supporter of this podcast and a great American. My thanks to Chuck D, who gave me a shout-out on CNN after uh, I was on with Chris. I hope he'll join me on this show soon. He had the best line ever on Trump. He said, go back to the USFL. But I was honored to lead block for him. Uh, he's a legend. And his show with Rachel Maddow and Liz Winstead was the first radio show I ever did in my life back in 2004. And Chuck D's always been kind, strong 
strong, fierce, and inspiring. I wish he'd come home and fix New York City and run for mayor. Chuck D for mayor, everybody. Thanks to my friend Ari Melber. He had me on his show this week on MSNBC. And thanks to Richard French on RNN, Regional News Network here in New York. Uh, thank you for having me on again. Richard's had me on his show for many, many years. And... My son, Ryder, finally made his first guest appearance. It's a YouTube moment, smack dab in the middle of the interview. Ryder decided he wanted to come in and start talking about the Camaro. I don't know if it got edited out. I don't know if it's on YouTube and everyone's seen it, but Ryder is now auditioning to be the next co-host of Richard French Live. Also want to congratulate our friend and previous guest, Baratunde Thurston, on his new podcast. Check that out. I was happy to be a part of the inaugural episode, but check out Baratunde Thurston's new show and check out my interview with him a couple weeks ago about how to be black in the pandemic. And thanks to another friend, Pete Dominic. I was on his podcast, Stand Up with Pete Dominic. We really let it rip. We got into the bounty madness. I talk about whether or not America is drinking too much. I talked about what I'm calling the pandemic hat trick. And Pete told me why he wants me to get the coronavirus. Yes, really. It's not really that bad, but check it out. Pete is awesome, and so is his podcast. Also, big thanks to the Veterans Future Lab at NYU. I was honored to be their, uh, their keynote speaker this week for the VFL Summit. Incredible inspiration from veteran entrepreneurs all across America. They are the voices of strength and hope during tough times, leaders who are built for tough times and part of why we celebrate America this week. So thanks to Grant and everyone else at the Veterans Future Lab at NYU. All right, and it's time to thank some other incredible Americans. Time to thank a listener. Every episode, I'll thank a few angry Americans just for listening, and I'll make you famous. I'll make you famous. Give us a call, send me a tweet, post a review, and I'll make you famous. Call, tweet, post on social media, and I will make you famous. Go ahead and do it. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. Like Maya Alexandra Hemrick who is coming all the way from Germany. Maya is on Instagram, a martial artist in jiu-jitsu, uh, karate, kickboxing, and Thai boxing, likes good music and good movies. And I want to thank Maya, who made a really cool uh, painting of a picture and posted it on Instagram. you got to check out Maya on Instagram, Maya Alexandra Hemrich on Instagram. She said... Uh, I also took a photo here of Paul Rykoff, who makes the best podcast with actor Ron Perlman. Listen to it. Subscribe. His topics are very interesting and diverse. Support his work and training. Paul, I hope you like the picture. Warm greetings from Germany. Thank you, Maya. Thank you so much. Danke, Shane Maya. Danke, danke, danke. And tschüss. And guten tag to Rachel Miller in Melbourne, Florida. She tweets at at TranquilEyes30, a psychology major, millennial, married, recommended four out of five people that recommended things. Uh, she supports the resist and Black Lives Matter. And she is also tweeting about this show, said, and also Angry Americans is a great pod. Paul Rykoff really pulls no punches in his questions. Thank you, Rachel. I try not to. Speaking of somebody who pulls no punches... My friend Nicole, also known as La Femme Nakita, if you are a fan of Malcolm Nance or you follow him or me on Twitter, you know about La Femme Nakita on Twitter. She is a Florida transplant from Massachusetts and Rhode Island, scuba diver, PhD student researching first responder trauma, and she has been the researcher on Malcolm Nance's must-read book, Plot to Destroy. 
And go back and check out uh, episode 13 with Malcolm Nance. We talk about war with Iran. He tells spy stories. We talk about race in the military long before it was an issue in the public. And Megan Rapino versus Donald Trump. Remember that one? But our friend Lafemme Nikita always posts videos right when I'm on TV after they're over. When the networks don't post them, she pops them up there and we can share them. So she's awesome. My thanks to you and to Malcolm Nance, my old friend Malcolm Nance. I hope you have a great 4th of July. And thanks to Roger Fry. Uh, West Point class of 65, recon and infantry company commander, Vietnam veteran. Uh, I think he lives in New York. He is a disabled retired veteran and tweeted, this was really, really a cool one to get, especially the week before July 4th. He said, this is this old veteran's first tweet. I heard you on CNN tonight and the strength in your words are what I've been waiting for years to hear anywhere. My argument and the facts about him destroying bit by bit our welfare and security were limited to my only platform. Facebook. Hold strong. Thank you, sir. Honored to have your following, honored to have your support, and honored to be a follower of yours. Roger Fry, you hold strong and stay frosty. But I love the feedback. I love it. I love it. I love it. Keep it coming. And use the hashtag Angry American Sound Off, especially this Independence Day Sound Off. Just give me a tweet, show some love, and I'll connect you with some of your fellow Angry Americans, and we can all watch some virtual fireworks. I am grateful to all of you. Thank you. And as always, my thanks to my amazing wife and two boys. Yes, Ryder did make his first TV appearance. It's very difficult to talk about uh, Russian interference in our battlefields while your son is jumping on your lap and wanting to talk about the Camaro. But... He's why we do this. You know, the kids are why we do all this work and why we care so much. And I just want to tell them how much I love them, how I'm so proud of who they are and how they're moving this country in the right direction in every little way they can. My thanks to my wife, of course. We watched Real Steel, which I highly recommend. It is an awesome movie for Fourth of July or with the kids if they're old enough. We've been swimming and fishing and playing catch and swinging on a tire swing which I highly recommend, but my kids are what America's all about, and I'm so grateful for them and all the freedom that they inspire me to fight for. It's freedom, said it's freedom time now, it's freedom, said it's freedom time now. All right, now let's keep it going. We are moving up the charts. The audience is growing thanks to you. Continue to tell your friends to check it out. It's free. Uh, I appreciate you giving us so much time. I hope you feel like it's worth it. If you're on an Apple device, leave the show a quick review. You can find us always at angryamericans.us or the shortcut is getangry.us. Subscribe and you'll have it hot and fresh waiting for you either Thursday night or early Friday morning. Again, sorry it was late last week. We'll do our best to get them moving. But sometimes I have a four-year-old throwing a fit and a one-year-old who needs a diaper change. But keep the feedback coming on social media. I see you, I hear you, and I'm with you. Go to angryamericans.us and sign up for our newsletter. We will adapt, improvise, and overcome, especially on this Independence Day and Independence Month. We will keep going and we will keep fighting. So stay tuned, subscribe for free, and share. We will keep this movement growing week by week by week. It's okay to be angry, especially now. The founding fathers who declared our independence were the original angry Americans. George Washington was an angry American. And you are in that proud tradition of angry Americans. And no, you're not alone. We're all a little angry. That's because we're paying attention. Happy Fourth of July, everyone. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Thanks for fighting for this country. Stay vigilant, America. Stay frosty. And happy birthday, America.